What's up, people? Welcome back to episode nine, season two of the of the What's Good podcast. That's a completely different podcast. This is the over in eighty minutes podcast, and we're going to keep it in to prove the podcast is natural because that's probably the funniest thing I'll say all afternoon. I'm joined this week by an absolute superstar. Not only that, she just is incredible. We've been talking off camera, and I haven't stopped smiling because she's so funny. So I'm really looking forward to this. But we'll give her the proper intro she deserves. Fifteen times select Scotland international sprinter. She's fresh off emphatic wins in Finland, claiming the gold medal for both the W35 200 metres and the 400 metres. She's brought them back to the good old rolling hills of the borders. Stacey Downey, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great, Sam. How are you doing? I'm sublime now that you're here. We've had a bit of rush hour traffic to get home to get this organised, but we're here now and that's what counts. Yeah. How's the day been? How's the day been? It's been pretty good, yeah. Just chilling, um, teacher life when I'm on holiday. So yeah, chilling with the cats, trying to make most of the sunshine, chips the physio, just yeah, enjoying the free time that I've got and trying my best to read, send hence all the books behind me in the bookcase. <laughs> <laughs> Get those books, some of those read when I can when I'm off. So um yeah, all good here. You've got you've got the working from home setup sorted, you like you can't have all the like you've got to get the books out, you've got to get everything. You need a couple of clothes hooks. I'll give you some pointers. Clothes hooks and blue tack. That's all you need. Wall definitely needs some work. So um, uh-huh. yeah. But you, you've you've just won some things that can get hung up there. So we'll talk about those in a quick minute. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but first, everybody's been loving these questions, and I've loved it because people come up with the most wonderful items that I've never even pictured. So the first one is: What is the favourite bit of memorabilia you've collected yourself in your journeys in the world of athletics? Um, I don't know if you'll be able to see it, but on my bookcase behind me, I've got a picture with me and Daley Thompson. Oh, cool. Um, so we, uh, I was at a training day. Um, I got a chance to meet him when I was like oh, an awesome. athlete. So um, mm-hmm. that's us there. Um, it's pretty cool. And my favourite moment, of, so meeting him would be my favourite kind of photo. Um, mm-hmm. Favorite memorabilia actually is this thing that's meant to go up on my wall. Um, <laughs> it's a picture of John Carlos. The, oh, amazing! The guy was in the 1968 Black Power Salute, and he um, became the bronze medalist in the 200 meters. And I was at a talk with him in 2012. Um, he oh, came that must have been so inspiring! Before the Olympics, yeah, he's brilliant, and um, I got his book as well signed. And his story was just fascinating. So to hear about him standing up for for rights for for everybody really in sport, not just for black people, but just for everyone to be treated fairly was, was really inspiring. And um, every time I look at that poster, it kind of makes me think that we're doing it for more than just ourselves. We're doing it for other people that are maybe not so fortunate. And I just, yeah, it's meeting him. I was kind of starstruck because I was like, well, you've been an Olympic medalist before. Like, mm-hmm. that's a huge deal, but you're known for more than just your sport. And I think that's kind of, yeah, I'd like to be known for more than just my sport is kind of what I'd like to do before. Before I, I kind of things up. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. I say this, like, there's random, there's random sentences I hear on this podcast where I think, I know that sentence will stay with me long after the podcast goes and when I'm doing whatever it is old numpties do in their spare time. But that's, that's such a powerful message. I love that. You're like, I, I'm doing what I'm doing because of the sport, but I know that I want to be remembered for more than the sport. I want to be remembered for me, the person, as much as I am me, the athlete. I love it. That's great. I'm God. I'm inspired now. I might go out for a run after this, depending on what time we finish. <laughs> if the light's still there, um, 
Amazing. Now I've, I'm not going for with you because you'll smoke me, and that'll be embarrassing. Because I've got one, I've got one knee between two legs at the best of it. That sounds like an awful phrase. I'm going to rephrase, going to rephrase that. Uh, God, I'm distracting myself. Now the next question: the memorabilia you'd love to add to your collection. What so, would you? Yeah, it'd probably be like you, know, you get those little mini pins that you can swap. Like you get them for like the Commonwealth Games is quite big on them, or like London 2012. I quite like okay, to swap yeah. pins with somebody from a different country or something from a different country at competitions I've been at. And the only the only kind of competition that I've been at was in Sweden where people, some people swap things, but um, okay. all they gave me was this little wristband thing that you could put money in or a key. And it was from, right. the, from Qatar, which is pretty cool. But the thing that I would quite like to have is something that I've lost actually. Um, I've got a picture with me and Michael Johnson and it was on oh, a phone. Wow. And he came to Edinburgh in 2006 to the mound and he was doing, he was the special guest for the Scottish Athletics dinner. And my picture on my phone, your phone was one of these old flip ones and quite a picture, you know, it's not a great camera. I went off to uh, a trip to uh, Alton Towers that summer, maybe a month later, and I lost my phone. And oh, no. back in the day, you didn't back up your photos the same. And I don't know if I sent it to my dad or somebody else, but yeah, I've lost the picture. So I'd like the chance to kind of meet him again or um to recreate the picture um but again yeah if i couldn't couldn't do that probably a signed bib with alison felix i love alison felix she's she's one of the very few names that i follow out with the olympic cycle you know like if, i know they're really bad but it's like the olympic cycle the master cycle and the uh the wimbledon cycle when everybody suddenly mm -hmm. starts playing tennis as we're just fresh off that as a good example but alison felix has always been one of the names that has stuck with me and things like that out, out with the British community. But that's amazing. That'd be amazing. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to clip this and we're going to put it on Twitter because I'm going to make sure Michael Michael Johnson sends you or gets another photo with you when he's next in the same place as you. Oh, I hope so. That'd be so cool. Oh, all, all the all the power of this podcast will get you a photo. If it's if it, my dying mission is to get you a photo with Michael Johnson now, that is my, that is my duty to this planet. Oh, thanks so much, Sam. Let's hope he gets it. <laughs> If, if you do, tell me where you are and then I'll drive and then you'll say, Michael, just hold on 40 minutes because we need Sam needs to get you on the podcast. That, you can return the favour. We'll get you the photo and you get Michael on here. I'll try my best, yeah. Sort of. Uh, out in Oregon at the moment, but he might be across in Birmingham for the Commonwealth Games. He will hopefully be in the country. We hope. <laughs> <Or> in the UK. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, he's closer. He's closer than he'll be on most days, so we'll have to we'll have to go from there. <laughs> amazing but Stacey that's amazing so you want to do swap something from swap something from somebody else from a different country at a combined event to have those yeah the, pro the problem is you need to now get like a bunch of pins I feel like you need to give every athlete 10 so they can sort of trade them like cards I feel yeah because I've got a couple of friends that have been at the comedy games in the past they say mm -hmm. that they get given your country one and then right. you get your lanyard with your pass on it and quite a few it's a tradition I think to swap pins with someone and mm -hmm. to collect as many as you can from different countries um, which would be pretty cool. So yeah, my friend's like, can you try and get the Commonwealth Games one for me? We were out in the Gold Coast a couple of years ago and mm -hmm. managed to get her one, so she was delighted. So she's collected them since she competed there herself. So it's pretty cool. So yeah, something like that would be good. Um, a lot of folk trying to swap vests, like the, the vest you're racing. Yeah. Easier to do, I think, sometimes if you're a guy and just, you know, finish your race and take it off, <laughs> and it off or a t-shirt or something. Um, but yeah, it's not really the done thing to swap spikes or anything. No, I was going to say, because like, that's quite common where I come from, to trade jerseys. And I was going to say that, but obviously it's quite hard with you guys because it's not just 
team versus team, so you're doing a direct swap, you could think, well, actually, there's eight, there's potentially eight other people in the race of seven, and you're thinking, or even at the four hundred, there's tons. So how yeah. do you, how do you make a how do you make a swap with everybody that was there? I know it's something I still yet to see. Although I think we could do that, like you know how in rugby we chatted earlier about you know you get your first cap. Yeah. Cool. If they can, I know in the GB team you get like a you get an, an ornament or something to nominate your first selection for GB. Mm-hmm. They do that, um, but I don't know if they do it in the Scottish team. It'd be pretty cool if they did though. It's kind of highlight. That's amazing. So what we what we're saying from this to take away is everybody needs to get some sort of memorabilia piece when they go to the Commie Games or the Olympics or something like that. I would say so, yeah, because yeah. it's things you'll look back on when you're older. Like the pictures mean a lot, but it's like little trinkets. Or I'm very much a person for getting a keyring or a fridge magnet, or you know, from any country I've been to. So yeah, I probably have tons of stuff of like <laughs> random <laughs> countries and things by the end of it. But um, nah, it's just it be, it, there'll be one day where you can just pull out this box from the loft or under the bed or something, and you can just spend hours just sitting through it. Exactly, and it'd be like, oh yeah, I remember that? I remember that day. It was such and such. Our memory's kind of like that. I'd be like, oh yeah, that was the day that I won that, or you can kind of mm-hmm. associate things. And or you'll end yeah. up you'll end up remember it for the random reason. You'll be like, oh, that's the day my pancakes were really burnt. You'll be like, oh, so I won the four hundred meters that day. <laughs> oh yeah, you always remember the daft things like that as well, <laughs> or like the Gosh. story behind your com- competition, or you know, trying to get to the competition, the funny journey you've had, or yeah, there's always these funny stories. God, I'm so jealous, and then I'd love, I'd love to be able to have those memories. But you, you were the one that was committed, and I was the one that decided to muck about in school. So <laughs> I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't envy you at all because it was a difficult journey to get there, and you've worked extremely hard. And just to top it all off, now when I get really credible and amazing people on, I put this silly question in the intro, and now I have to ask everybody it: Would you rather have a bourbon or a custard cream with a cup of tea? Ask me a bourbon. Yes, it's definitely, there's definitely a thing, like, the more south you go, the more likely I am to get custard cream or bourbon. There's definitely a correlation. Because uh, bourbons, I feel like you can dunk them into your coffee, or your tea, and it, ta- it doesn't take the taste away, but a custard cream's a bit of a different taste, so yeah, I, would, I always dunk any biscuit into whatever I'm drinking. Oh, it's mandatory, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cups of coffee are an excuse to have biscuits, that's the way I look at them. Oh yeah, and if it falls in, that's the unfortunate thing, but like, it's... yeah, it's- it's a risky game we all play. <laughs> Amazing, Stacey. That was the quick fire questions and the member of the day. Sorry, you passed that flying colours in my personal opinion. Some brilliant answers and some brilliant memorabilia you've got. I think I never expected you to pull up that photo. That was amazing. I love that. That's so good. So we're going to go back to the very, very start of the journey for yourself, all the way back to good old people's high. Can't beat it. So. When did you discover athletics? How did it come to find you? Yeah, so um, I'm from West Linton originally, and uh, I kind of did the county sports. Mm-hmm. So there was a regional competition held in Peebles every year, um, and I got asked to do the relay. But I think you could enter yourself every year in P1 up the way. So I think mum and dad noticed I was quite fast, but my brother was two years older. He was quite quick as well, so we both did it. So I remember being in P1 and watching my brother run but we were too late for my race and I was just like, oh well, like I was quite upset about it, but seeing my brother get a medal was pretty cool. But then like mm-hmm. P2, P3, P4, I ended up winning it. And I was like, well, this is pretty fun. You know, like it's just like a, a race, like at sports day, didn't really think much of it until got to the kind of second half of uh, primary school in P5. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting third and I was thinking, that sucks, like third? <laughs> so good and you still got a medal. But I remember that like, you always remember these different stories and I remember going, Mum afterwards was like, 
yeah, you were wearing new like trainers. They're too big for you. Like you probably weren't able to run as quick. And I should have run in bare feet. And I always remember laughing at my mum talking about these big trainers. And I was like, that's how I got third. But then after that, I was like, well, I'm not getting beaten again. So it was often the same hurdles every year. Yeah. In P6 and 7, um, I did the hunt, like the shorter sprint, like the 80 metres or 100 metre sprint. And I won, won them both again, which is pretty cool. Um, and we had the 4 by one wheelie. And it was the old school wheelies where you had to like hit the wooden thing down for you to be freed. All right, yeah. Stuck, so you couldn't like cheat. You had to physically hit that. And it's obviously to encourage people to not cheat. Um, <laughs> I remember being on the last leg for that and finishing at Whitson Park up towards the kind of pavilion. And I was like, this is pretty cool. Yeah. And my auntie and her, my uncle were there watching. Um, and I've got a really cool picture of me. I can't think of what it'll be offhand, but of me with my sweater shop jumper, my white socks on, my white shorts. <laughs> like, you know, classic 98 picture of me with my sweater shop jumper, which everybody had. Um <laughs> that's kind of where running started for me because it wasn't like there wasn't any clubs or anything growing up that I did when I was um, in primary school but there was like gymnastics and badminton and netball so I did all those right um, but we had like every year you have your, your festival um, and the Whitman play was our festival so I used to always win the races and or do the wheelbarrow race and place and stuff and do it for fun but you know my friends would often be like oh can you not enter because you know we want a chance and I'm like what are you on about like I'm just doing my thing here so I was yeah. probably competitive without even noticing it um but it wasn't until like you know i noticed you know when i look back now it's things like i got asked to play in the netball team for school with like the p7s had their own team but the p6s were playing and i was like right. the only five to get asked can you play with the p6s and i thought well, that's pretty cool but i didn't think anything of it at the time that i was actually quite good or anything and then kept playing through primary school so i had quite a wide upbringing of like sports i did and then went to high school still hadn't found athletics at this point i'd you're yeah. still just you're just doing other sports and then there happens to be that running at the the town festival yeah so um mm -hmm. i found that I was quite good at it but never realized it was a club or you know there's never clubs grown up there was nothing in peebles that i was aware of either and um, and we did you know the infamous bleep test at high school and <laughs> back and forth back and is that, forth. is that a mr henderson special that was a mr henderson <laughs> first year is how to terrorize them um <laughs> So I remember my brother telling me about this. He's like, yeah, it's pretty hard. Like, all you have to do is run back and forth in between these bleeps and you're trying to beat the bleep and, you know, just keep running until you're worn out, basically. Um, so, yeah, I was I was that competitive. I was like, oh, yeah, there's some guys still in here. Cool, I'll keep going. And I got, you know, I did pretty well. And, again, 13-1 when I was 13 is quite ridiculous. I think that's, it was that's mental. higher than a lot of people in the year. And I was thinking, okay, I've just, you know, I cycled everywhere I was growing up or jogged places, ran places. I was never, you know, growing up in the country. <laughs> that's that's such a borders thing as well, yeah. Like, nobody yeah. thinks anything of cycling between towns here. No, and it's just, like, the done thing. So there's nothing. Like, I did have, like, a PlayStation growing up, but you were never in the house unless you were, like, had to be if the weather was bad. So yeah, that really helped me because, like, having a wide range of sports helped me, I think, keep pretty active in all of them. And by the time I got to high school, um, I started playing hockey, and I kept that going. Um, and it wasn't until... You know, we discovered that you know trying to try it for um i think it was like the scottish schools really championships um mrs hunter she uh, spotted that i was quite quick in first year and there's three girls in the year above me that they needed this one other girl to make the under 14 team and i was like well, this is pretty cool okay i could maybe do that mm -hmm. so they selected me to go along to try out for it and i got picked which is pretty cool and i ran the first leg through in glasgow at scottson um and it's the first time i've ever won a medal like for anything out with like your regional sports or anything so 
at oh, the time, wow. I didn't realise that being Scottish school champions is quite a big deal. Um, I was like, cool, we just won a really gold, you know? Um, <laughs> and, you know, doing the bleep test and doing all that, I was like, I actually quite like this running thing. Um, didn't know much <laughs> about, I didn't train for it or anything, it was just general fitness had come from other sports. And then Mrs Hunter's like, we do have a local coach you could join. His name's Charlie Russell, um, he's based in Leithen, he trains in Peebles, and there's, there's quite a few athletes that train with him. Okay. Pass on the details and then the rest is history. Um, started training with him a couple of times a week um very grateful to my mum and dad who chased me from west linton back to peebles and back um again because it'd be like right after school you'd train and then get picked up and go home so yes yeah, yeah that's kind of where it all started it was actually peebles rugby club was my very first ever session we're doing some circuits <laughs> in there up at um, the uh the old ch- the chicken hut the chat yeah on the left hand oh. side going the park yeah so that was my very first ever training session in athletics uh, going oh, in and getting shown how to do proper circuit training. So that was, uh, yeah, that was way back in 99 or 2000, I think. Wow. Yeah, I was like 12 at the time. Wow, that's that's amazing. I love, I'm so jealous of what you said about natural fitness and yeah, I'm all right at this running thing because I'd give anything to be able to run as well as you do naturally. <laughs> but I, I love that, that you, you genuinely just found a love for sport just by being active and you found what has turned into not not your personality because there's so much more to Stacey Downey than there is running but what you now consider is like you know a lot of the decisions you do in life are based on does this complement my running does this complement my athletics does this as a as an opposite strength will this affect my running in any way which I'm sure you've had to make a lot of tough decisions on as your life as we'll probably discuss but um so you talk nicely about Charlie uh, Charlie Russell the coach yeah that's yeah. right yeah. so how when so like you said, you just you just discovered circuit training for the first time, which is never fun for anybody, especially at 13, 14. <laughs> when did that... So was this when you started looking... Was was running still a fun hobby to you then? Or was you or were things starting to turn in your call? Like, was Charlie going, you, like, kid, you're good at this. If you start thinking of it in this way, there's, like, there's no end to this journey. Or was it still just, I'm just having fun. Like, I get myself out of school a few days, you didn't have to go and run against other people. Because that was a big mindset for me was if you play for the rugby team, you get every couple of Fridays off to go play rugby. <laughs> yeah, I'd say like at the start, um, yeah, I was I was always quite a shy teenager to be honest. Like, um, I think sport was a way of expressing myself. Um, mm-hmm. As soon as like the gun would go or like any PE sport activity, I would switch from the shy person to right. I'm ready to play now. Um, mm-hmm. So I think with Charlie, that like, he was quite a. Like an easy to chat to kind of person um didn't ever pressure me into doing things but he was so enthusiastic that you couldn't help get wound up in what he was trying to say to you so mm-hmm. he was quite he did sell the kind of bit at the start about you know everyone here has won a medal at scottish championships and i was like well this sounds pretty cool um and he'd seen me at the county sports actually right when i was in p7 he kind of knew like there was a couple of athletes like a p6 girl that trained with him already so um he knew of me before I actually came. He knew, you know, because he was keen on running himself and I think his family had done it all. And he'd been training athletes for a good 10, 15 years at this point. Um, and he did take me along to the infamous Kelvin Hall through in uh, Glasgow. Oh, and yeah. I was only, I think, under 13 at the time. I think I had my first ever race indoors through there. And, you know, I wasn't like, by any means, I wasn't even getting out of my heat. I was maybe fifth in my heat or something. But it allowed me to be in an environment with like other athletes around 
I was, and I kind of um, was quite a small teenager, but all of a sudden, age 15, 16, I kind of sprouted up like five inches. So right. um, to be like seven stone and five foot tall, and then all of a sudden you're five foot six and you're, you know, like eight and a half stone is quite a big difference as a teenage girl. So um, he never pressured me too much, like when I was maybe early kind of years at high school. But the one thing he did encourage us to do was the Highland Games that are around in the local town. So in a yeah. he's from St. Owen Games and um, up into Fife and all the kind of Inverkey then, Montrose, the way up as far as that. Braemar, I ran up there once in front of the Queen. That was pretty cool when I was 16. Um, oh, in, that, um, in the tiny one where she's got the little hut on the, the mound. Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. That, must, that must have been cool. So, um, yeah, like, my whole kind of childhood was spent about, okay, right, the game season is from the end of May until the start of September. Every weekend there's one on, pretty much, but he would help you work out what events and which ones to go to. And it was a bit of a mix between Peebles or Jedburgh and all these kind of big ones, mm-hmm. and way up to Fife and all, all along. So I remember when I was, you know, done it for a couple of years, went up to Braemar, and my coach was like, now, if you win this, you get to meet the Queen. And I was like, well, that sounds pretty cool. And, of course, I came second, so I didn't get that chance, but it's still pretty cool. To, to have done that um, as I was growing up. So my childhood was very much spent, as you can imagine, like training. I probably saw Charlie in the training group more than I did my own family sometimes. Um, I was doing it more for enjoyment to start with. And as I realized that, you know, I did do some of the championship events when I was younger. I was never mm-hmm. the best though. So I'd be the best I ever got from the age of 12 was like a, a third place at Scottish Champs. And like 12.9 which is it's still pretty quick for like a, a 12 year old um but i was never like outstanding i'd be in the rankings i'd maybe be 25th or something in the rankings i'd be okay. well known. but then as the age groups went on and as i got older like up to age 16 i was maybe in the top 10 of the rankings and so on so i kind of kept edging my way up there but again i was always fourth in championship races i was always fourth in league reaches against like um scottish women's league would be against all like your top clubs it'd be like edinburgh versus glasgow uh, versus like the five clubs and so on and Aberdeen and I'd always get fourth because the top three girls that would always medal at championships would be in every single race with me. <laughs> so I'm kind of it's funny how I'm not really I wasn't put off by all that though so I think um, for some reason I think because I still had hockey when I was going up yeah. you know, then the fourth year I didn't really notice like I wasn't improving or anything so I probably was gradually improving but I wasn't like getting loads of medals to show for it but I was winning some money in the Highland Games scene which was interesting so I'd maybe win like a tenner for being sixth or something. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think the, the biggest thing for me was just like, I got to 2003 it was, I was 16 at the time. And I remember Charlie saying to me, like, if you really want to give running a go, you're going to have to drop hockey. And I was oh, like, oh. That's, that's mental to talk about that at 16. So for me to be able, because the, I was a right defender. So the chance of me getting hit with the ball, I think I'd be knocked Quite out high. once. And I was really good at defender, I loved tackling. I'd, I'd still would have, would have played if I'd had the chance to do both. Um, went on the infamous Peebles hockey tour and when I was in third year, I absolutely loved it. The chance to be around uh, the other athletes in Canada was really cool as well. And um, yeah, to be a chance to be a part of a team as well. So it very much, I never specialized when I was young. I think, you know, I was maybe 16 when I trained just for running. Um, mm-hmm. But at that point, the sessions that I would hockey so that might be two, three times a week. I dropped that, but then I then changed to doing instead of two days a week running or three days, and I became five. So oh, wow. the change between being like the young adult Stacey kind of grown up into high school, and I was always one of these people, 
I'll get like unnecessarily anxious about a lot of things. I don't know if it's just a, a me thing, but trying to juggle too many plates and like spin too many plates. Um, I remember Charlie having faith in me saying, no, I think you could do pretty well here if, if you uh, committed yourself. So to try and tell this to Miss Strang though, that I was unfortunately going to have to stop playing hockey. Don't think she was happy. Um, but again, if you're losing one of the fastest players in the team. Um, yeah, you're never, you're never happy when you lose a star player. <laughs> so um, no, I'm just very grateful to that it paid off. Um, could easily have went the other way and that I got like an injury and I couldn't run. You never know. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, it was, it was, wow. it was. So that's, I really want to talk about, because what you said there was really like potent about how you spoke about how you, your attitude never diminished after consistently coming fourth, which is as much as there still is a first and a second, a fourth is like a real big hitter in athletics because it's the, you're not on the podium. So what do you put that down to? Because to have what is mental fortitude at 16 and almost your your love, because it, it comes through when you talk, your love for just competing in sport is infectious. So how did you have that? Did it just, was it just the case of you like, oh, I've come forth again. Oh, well, there's another race next week. I'll go do that. Or was it because you had the other sports that you thought, okay, well, I lost here, so you best believe I'm going to win this thing now that I'm annoyed because I've just lost here. So, yeah, I think um, the person, I think, like, unbeknownst to me, I think my family probably instilled this kind of competitiveness in me. I think my dad's side of the family, uh, he's the youngest of seven, and they were all farmers. Christ. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a Borders family, if everyone heard one there. Definitely. And he was <laughs> he went to school in Peebles, and he was very good at, um, like, he did javelin at school, but he did it more for, like, like he was good at it from doing it in PE, but never followed it up. And then on my mum's side, she was good at long jump and like sprinting. But again, just okay. at school side, never like having followed it up when you know left school or anything. But I think my dad said the family are so competitive that they would go into all the local sports day stuff up here for the Whitman and win everything. Okay. So I think I've kind of had that around me that you know, like if I was in a race, that they've always encouraged me. But I'd say you know between my family, but also Charlie was the person that like he valued improvement. But never right. like it was never about um, times for him. It was always about what medals you've won or what have you won. So if you won something, it doesn't matter what time you ran, you won something. So if you won a medal, you won a medal, and you, nobody can take that away from you. So mm -hmm. I think that kind of attitude of never knowing what time I ran in training when I was younger, everybody's obsessed with a time. I think because everyone's like, oh, Matt, like the magic barrier for sprinting is always like twelve seconds for girls. It, you know, a decent standard it's like have I run it have I, you know you'd always ask and see how fast it was going he would just shake his head he wouldn't tell me and I think oh, that oh I thought you meant shake his head as in you haven't ran it he just wouldn't just wouldn't tell you at all so he knew yeah. how fast you were going no I never did um I think you know for I've trained with him for a good 10 11 years and I never knew once what I ran in training it was always his reaction though that would give him it away he'd be like oh it's amazing like he'd look at the stopwatch <laughs> and kind of do some funny comedy thing with it um You'd run with other people, so you kind of start laughing to yourself. And you know, we didn't have like fancy facilities. So I don't think it ever kind of ever kind of made me think like, am I doing? Like, I didn't really know what other people had, so I just like she would turn up, train, and social media wasn't around. So I think that was the benefit of having a small bubble, being from like a small village, training with other people. So as soon as you go to all these fancy competitions, I'm like, wow, a track! I don't know what that is. Like. <laughs> Um, you know, because all the Highland Games were held on grass as well. So I didn't have, like, you know, a trains and all weather. You didn't have the fancy, like, indoor facilities or anything. 
if it was raining, you were out in it. And if it's torrential rain, you hid under a bus shelter or nearby, you know, <laughs> house awning or done it. And at least then they had like the lovely bit you could stand underneath the, the kind of garagey bit next to the, the pitch. Oh and yeah, I know, was, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> you you stand there and wait. And then, you know, if, if, if Charlie was being kind, you'd stand there for five minutes or so. If not, you'd be like, right, go on with it. And you just go on with it. And um, I think the kind of steeliness of just, yeah, just not being phased by weather or, you know, by things you can't control. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Charlie kind of instilled that in me, I would say. I've always probably had it in me, but he kind of reaffirmed it. And yeah, he made me, reminded me of what I was doing it for. Um, wow. And, and what I was there to do and, and to make every race count. So yeah, even through high school, like the, it paid off to to focus on my running because when I was sixteen, I had a, an amazing year in the Highland Games circuit, uh, winning about maybe twenty races across the year, which is quite unheard of for a young girl to be doing that. Um, I think I was one of the first people to be awarded. It was like Woman of the Year, like Sports Person of the Year for the Highland Games circuit, wow. which is. And I think back, like Laura Muir's had it, Sarah Inglis, mm-hmm. it's the Commonwealth Games. Like it's quite a few big names have had this. Um, but I was one of the first to do it um, and it was quite cool to from there we um, my running coach has always had ties with Australia and big meetings out there in Victoria there's a place called Stall, the Stall Gift it's like the equivalent of the New Year Sprint which has actually been held this weekend bizarrely enough in Medibank because of the it's mm-hmm. been festival because of venue problems um, but the New just, Sprint, they've just rebuilt it haven't they always in Medibank it just opened last week it's a great facility um so he uh, was like, right, we need to get a trip to across to Australia, you know, and he got in touch and I was in my sick. <laughs> he makes it sound a lot easier than it is there. Yeah, just uh, he was like, right, we're going to do it. So um, you're still at school and obviously not earning as much money or as other people wanted to go. Um, but we did, I did a fundraising kind of walk along the Northern and Walkerburn Hills for about 14 miles, did a sponsored walk. Oh, nice. all the money for me to go. So it was a pretty cool trip. Um and I t- found out, I didn't know this at the time, but an idol of mine growing up had been, um, I'd watched Cathy Freeman win the um, Olympics in Sydney in 2000. And mm-hmm. I didn't realise that she'd ran at the Stall Gift as well in the 400 metres years ago before I'd been there. And she won it from scratch, from like the zero mark, which oh, is wow. again, ridiculous. Um, and I actually went back to Stall a couple of years ago in 2018 and I got the red black markers bib that she'd worn, like the same colour. So I thought oh, I'd wow. made it. Like to, to be the back marker is a big big deal in women's sprinting anyway. Um but yeah, it's something that we went on a trip to Australia in two thousand and five. Um and the ten of us went across and competed and yeah, it's it was amazing. I took my my sixth year higher than advanced higher stuff with me. So I was <laughs> over there, so missed my sixth year ball. Um well, but, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I think I think you've got better memories than the ball, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, what would you pick? I think it's quite a, quite a big, yeah. Well, at the time it was a tough one, but yeah. I, look back I, know, I know what you mean. Everything in high school is the most important thing. So that's still a bit, it's still, that's, a, that's amazing. Especially, as you say, to have what so many other famous names have done as well at the stall, going to these places of iconic athletic heritage. That is wow. impressive. And then as you... As you're doing it, as you're trying to get ready for uni, you're trying to just survive high school, which is tough enough in itself. That's, I, I, which is bad for the podcast, but I'm generally struggling for words to compliment you on how incredible your attitude actually was at such a young age. And following on nicely from that, and we just mentioned uni there, 
as you were telling me before we just came on, like we hit the record button, you you said yourself and you spoke about being fourth consistently. You really started to notice the success coming to your sport at the ages of 18 onwards. Yeah. So can you talk me through training? Like you said, you went to five times a week training doing advanced hires, which is no easy feat. And then I assume you kept up the five-day-a-week training as you got into uni. Yeah, it was actually, um, I found school harder than uni, actually. So, um, yeah, I made, I don't know if I was the, one of the athletes that thought, yeah, five hires sounds a great idea. I'll do that. <laughs> I probably should have done, in hindsight, should have done four hires in, like, an easy subject. Um, but if you get, like, six ones and two twos, like I did at Standard which was I was mm-hmm. pretty proud of. You know, quite academic, but I, I was one of these people that was overly conscientious. Like I made sure I knew everything about that exam and, and so on. When it came to higher, it's a different kettle of fish from Santa Grace. The step up was oh, pretty yeah. high. So I got halfway through the year, got to like February prelims, and I remember higher maths was always one of these ones that was always pretty tough anyway. And I just thought, I'm not going to do myself justice here. I need to watch my work-life balance. That's the only time when I was at school that I really thought, wow, this is getting too much. So I think at that point, I ended up, I dropped one of my hires. I think that's the smartest thing to do. So it didn't jeopardize their four. Yeah. That's probably why I did pretty well after that in my final exam. But also one day a week, my training was to be held back in West Linton. I'd do it on my own. Oh, so right, that okay. I'd have an night for studying. And I think um, my coach actually would come up with a couple other athletes and we'd go and train in my garage gym or we'd go and run up in the local pitch and stuff. So you'd end up having that work-life balance or, you know, like school-life balance that you needed. Um, but yeah, you're right, like, I found it easier when I went to university. I don't know if it's that freedom over your routine. Your lectures might be like nine till three, but you might have an hour gap somewhere in the middle. You get your lunch. And I was pretty good at always making sure I did my uni work at uni. I don't know if I was one of these weird people that just did it as soon as I got it. And you're the student. It. You're the student. Most of us wished we were. Is what you are, Stacey. Yeah. <laughs> I think there. I just enjoyed what I was doing. I, I had like um, I had a couple of decisions to make before I went to uni. I was like, well, do I go down the history and psychology route, which I loved history. It was a real passion of mine, or do I go down the sport and exercise science route? And with psychology, and I thought, well, I love sport, so it's one of these things of is it going to be too much sport, or is it going to be you know, interesting yeah. enough. So I love my sciences. So like between history and kind of biology, they were my main th- subjects I loved alongside PE. And there wasn't a higher PE subject that we could do at the time. There wasn't anything like that. And I was like, well, that would have been a really good subject for me to have done. <laughs> um, so I ended up like with my biology, chemistry and history alongside English and math. And, you know, and, and after I kind of dropped maths in fifth year, I took it up again in sixth year. And that was a good idea because it meant I could then have fun with my advanced higher history. And, you know, as you do in sixth year, kind of, find all these other subjects to fill the gaps, like crash our modern studies and stuff. So um ended up going to uni in, in quite a good place, got my kind of six, seven hires, my advanced hire. Um, and I always felt I could get a balance between my training, my work-life balance, and also um, uni. So when I went to uni, I was at Harriet Watt University, stayed at home right. uh, for the first three years. I think that's probably the best thing I could have done. It all meant right. that I had the car. So twice a week through the week when I was at uni, I would drive, finish at quarter past five, finish at the Rickerton campus, jump in the car and go all the way down to Nalethan to train. So I would turn up and it'd be pitch black in the middle of winter and you'd just have car lights and random street lights next to the track where we ran. Mm-hmm. It was nothing fancy. Um, but my coach would know if I was five or ten minutes late, like it was unavoidable because of traffic. So he was pretty good about that. But I think the commitment I made then really paid off. Because um, like you mentioned, Sam, like I wasn't, 
winning anything at school. I got the best I ever got in my last year at high school was like third in the Scottish schools indoor 200 meters. And even then I was a second behind the girls that were first and second. So I wasn't like oh, wow. a teenager. So I was very much a late developer. I always thought I was more of a, I think, I don't know if I was necessarily a late developer body wise, but at the age of 15, 16, I kind of definitely was quite tall and lanky. Like I'm only five feet, six and a half, but like compared with some of the girls in the year, I was definitely kind of longer limb. Um, but yeah, as soon as I left um, high school, I had the more freedom. I got a part-time job at Sainsbury's at the time. And then later on left that and worked at Ikea and I'd work there like a Wednesday, Saturday. And then I'd have my kind of five days a week training and I'd go work in the two days that I didn't train. Mm. And it worked out really well and I'd have all my kind of studying. So I was one of these people that you'd have eight weeks of uni a week of revision and then do your exams and I never once had a reset I think I just got in such a good routine wow. and yeah just quite academic I think I'd be like all right there's a computer lab let's go and get that quiz done for like a biology module or stuff like that um and I would always find people that were at the uni like you know to be study buddies with so you'd end up doing the work together I'd do it and yeah I was always good with keeping a diary and I don't, I don't know if it just was quite an easy system for me to find because it meant that you know, you'd obviously have a lot of friends that were living at uni or, or whatever and they wouldn't turn up to classes. I was always misreliable. I'd always been at everything. So they were always like, what are your notes for this? And um, well, have you been there? Have you been that? And I think it was one of these things I never felt too stressed at all. And I think that helped my training. It meant I had a good balance there. And also when it came to competing in the next again summer, so 2006, and a real big breakthrough. Um so is this is this 2006 you were still at uni then were you or is this yeah, yeah, yeah. Just finished, I started you know? 2005 so okay so September 05 so 06 was in the first year uni yeah so um the first summer like we finished the end of June for exam so I was still right in the semester and we had three semester uh, three terms at that time actually instead of semesters so you had your three four modules per term and then three sets of exams across the year yeah, I got my first like under twenty Scottish title. I won both the hundred and the two hundred, which was pretty cool. And that was at the old Scotstown before they rebuilt it. I remember Charlie was there at the time with some of his, another one of his close friends, and right. he was like, "Celebrate it after you win," because like you know he he was convinced I was going to win. Like he was really confident. But I was like, "You still have to go out and win it and run a heat and a final and so on." But I remember that was my first ever Scottish title, and then in the same afternoon I got two of them. And I was like, "This is ridiculous! Like this is amazing." And I went down to the British Championships and I got to the final in the English kind of equivalent. I came seventh and I thought, that's pretty cool. Like, you know, I've, I've done that. I've been Top seven in Britain, isn't it? Yeah, and like, I had no idea about the rankings at that point. I think that's when the power of 10 came out. It's like a website with all your rankings on it. Okay, I think, I think I stumbled across that when I was researching you actually, but I had no idea what it was. So it's like a ranking list for everybody in the country where you um, like see where you're ranked. It's, it's wow. pretty cool. You can get a bit obsessed with it. I know as a youngster, you'd be like, oh, well, look, we're such and such. And, yeah. um, so at the time, I ran for a club called Harmony AC. They were based okay. in Bellerno. And oh. they were a club that was pretty good for like up to under 20 level. But there wasn't any like competition opportunities for them after that. Um, so I was at my first university competition and I was second in the 100 metres. And then the, I won the 200 metres. And I remember a people from coaches like from different clubs coming up saying I oh, would love you to come and join our club and I'm like didn't really know what it was all about to be honest with you I was but oh cool that's quite nice yeah. and my coach hadn't been there at the time and I remember it was match on my birthday I ran on and I remember phoning him up and saying oh I've been in these guys have been in touch with me what do you think um and from all the coaches that spoke to me 
it was um, a guy called Norman Gardner who turned out to be Ailey Child's first coach. He was like, achieve right. you know. Uh, we've got the under-20 league, you'd, you'd get a chance to run in that. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty cool. And at the time, the Edinburgh AC had so many athletes. Um, I would be the person fourth. You know, I'd be that typical person that never got a chance to run. All right, um, okay. So those kind of kind of summers, you know, we joined Bacivi, did a couple of under-20 leagues that summer and, and the rest of the summer, um, and became quite friendly with Daily Child across a couple of competitions, and she was showing me how to navigate you know the different league matches that you had around the country and I ran at Gateshead and I remember breaking 25 seconds for the first time the 200 and that was quite a cool thing to do um and yeah I just loved it being around you'd kind of stay overnight and then you'd race the next day and then you'd travel back on the team bus that same day um and that's the first time I've been around people properly on teams um and that whole year you know to win the Scottish title winning both the sprints meant I got my first Scotland selection at the end of that year um Right, so that's the first Scotland selection at 19 years old. Which is quite old, I think, as Scotland selection goals, because I'd missed out on Scottish schools. I hadn't been quick enough to get picked any time. Mm-hmm. High school was always like five or six girls ahead of me. So never did any, like all the big school events, like the schools internationals. There's like two or three of them at the time, the Celtic mm-hmm. games and different things. So yeah, for me to be that patient, um, when I think back, I must have been pretty determined to kind of keep improving myself. Because <laughs> you look at people nowadays, like, a lot of people drop out at the age of like 18 19 they don't keep it going when they get to like university level but i was the opposite um and i just love the setup and i think charlie having the same things the only thing in life that changed for me had been went to university um and again like i used my free time to work so i could always afford to get my fuel money back and forth and everything um so it turned out you know I had a couple of athletes in my running group like i was was probably the best one in the group but we'd all like help each other out in training and again still charlie wouldn't tell me how fast i'd ran and despite me getting quicker and quicker i didn't know how quick um and then the following year 2007 from 2005 to 2007 i took like a second and a half off my 200 time absolutely so you got the sub 25 and then you started gunning for sub 22 uh yeah 24 yeah so i went from 25.5 down to 24.6 in a year which is pretty ridiculous and then Went from 24.68 down to 24.18. Uh, ran out in Sweden. I got picked for an international. I still remember where I was in this computer lab getting an email through saying, you've been selected to run in Sweden. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, do, you know, do you know I love the way you've described every single what to me is I would have, I, I believe the collective professional term has lost my shit. You have just been like, oh, that's cool. And it's, it's so amazing because you've spoken so much about your determination and and I've mentioned your passion and you come across so not happy-go-lucky, but you are, what will be will be, but I will make sure my damned hardest is going to be what I want it to be. But yeah. then you talk about your determination things like that. I reckon you must have had this most like charming, lovely little like school face. It was like, hi, I'm Stacy, and nice to meet you, lovely, shake your hand. And then I reckon just behind the eyes, it was like, I will kill everybody to get this gold medal if I have to. <laughs> I think... um yeah, I don't know if it's an athletics thing, but like as soon as you're on that start line, you can be as nice as you like to anybody out with it. And Charlie mm-hmm. said that to me, he's like, stop speaking to people. Like, don't just say hello to them. Like, go and just warm up. Like, be the one they want to be. Um, but I was always so polite. I'd be like, oh, hey, how you doing? And it'd be people you ran with and really team and stuff. But then it came to like races. And I remember going out to Sweden for the first time in 2007. And there's a couple of girls that ran for Edinburgh at the same time. And they were like, how do you run so quick? Like, your warm-up's different to ours and 
And I was like, why tune on grass? Like, this is new yeah. for me. And going out to Sweden, they've got this fancy track, um, like bouncy, like called Mondo. It's like the really fast Olympic surface. Right. And I was like, this is pretty cool. But, you know, like I did my warm up inside. They had this fancy bit where you could run underneath the whole stand and all the stadium all the way around. And I remember climbing before the competition started all the way to the very top of the stadium. Right. To get that infamous picture looking down. And I didn't realize that it's the same stadium in Gothenburg that Michael Johnson had won the world title in in 95. It's where um, uh, Jonathan Edwards broke the triple jump world record that still hold today. Um, like all these famous athletes competed here. I had no idea what it was. I just thought, cool, this is the Gothenburg Youth Game. And yeah. I think all the Edinburgh AC girls, which by rights I shouldn't have done, like they're training all these fancy facilities and got people to run against games out, whereas I was training my own with some young guys, you know, rugby guys. Um, from gala and stuff that would come up to run with me yeah, and come to just do like sprint training or something or yeah. like just fatigue running yeah i keep fit and you know charlie was very much like came from a boxing background so i used a speedball and i would use circuit training i would use like you know running on grass and all these different ways to strengthen me up and it's mostly focused on technique and how you ran but as soon as i ran on that fast surface with my spikes on and had never done it before it was like like a carpet you know like running as fast as I could and I had the cool spikes that Michael Johnson wore, the gold ones with the black and I thought I'd made it, you know, this is nice. cool. And I remember finishing the race going, wow, like I've just completely smashed my PB there, I think. Um, I remember I had a little Scotland flag in my bag and I remember a picture got taken and some of the girls that I ran against, there's one girl I noticed yesterday, she ran in the 4x4 for Norway, her name's Elizabeth Sletham and she still right. runs years and I ran against her in that race and I thought, both me and you are still competing. This is pretty cool, um, pretty decent level. So um, it's really funny to have met her years mm -hmm. ago at that competition. She's still competing. So that one competition, kind of that kind of that was my first memory of wow, this is really cool. I really enjoy winning these. Like you know, to get a bronze medal, I think I was one of the only people to have got a medal out of the whole Scotland team. There's like ten of us out there. It's like sprints and sprint hurdlers that were there, and um, we came fifth in the four by one. And I thought, yeah, it's pretty good. I was on the third leg and, you know, I think I did my self-justice and, you know, it's pretty good. But doing the 100 metres on the Saturday and then 200 on the Sunday. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's one of these competitions. I've actually, not from that year, but I've actually got a medal that I got from this competition. This is one of my kind of special ones. And it's got... Oh, wow. Varald Sundomspielen, which means World Youth Games in Swedish. And it's got the Ulevi Stadium and it's got in the back of it, like, the year and that. So I went back... All right. and and 2008 again like I went a couple of times and I just loved it because it comes with like this big like bright lanyard and it's a square medal I've never came across many square medal um so I've got like a bronze from 2007 and 2008 we went back and then I went back in 2011 and got a silver and a gold in two sprints so it's it was like, yeah it's it a very competition it's it really yeah it's like my kind of international career light I think that was one of my third or fourth internationals and I just knew that, yeah, you know, I was just, I think I was very grateful to have had the chance to go there, but I was just, I knew that I was good enough now for that, if that makes sense. I oh, knew I was, right. wasn't the one that was always fourth. I was like, right, I'm winning medals now. You know, whatever we're doing, Charlie and I, it's working. Um, and I just did what I was told, you know, if he said me, this is what we're doing, I'd be like, yeah, cool, no problem. Um, and I just knew that, like, his approach of less is more was a better idea, I think, um, Training sessions would be like a six by 150 meters. So you'd run from one corner of the football pitch, 
run down one corner, cut the corner a little bit, and then run down the far end, and that would be about 150 meters. But right. you'd walk back and have a couple minutes rest and do it again. And that's probably the hardest training session I did with them. But I didn't need to train any harder than that. You maybe do two sets of six, it would be the hardest session. And then ended up running 24-1 with him and 12 flat, which is to have trained on grass, you know, to find out years later that Usain Bolt was doing the same. He trained on grass. Mm-hmm. Part majority of his career. And I thought, there's something in this. So, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I love the thought of you looking at Charlie, your coach, and just be like, ah, "This this guy might be onto something." Actually, like <laughs> that's amazing. I'm I'm so so. You touched on it. That that was. Would you say those games were your big eye-opening moment? Like you sort of said, there's like when you thought of Michael Johnson's run here, all these names like the triple jump one record, all these life like life-changing athletics events just start popping off in your brain. You're like, all these took place here. Like this is where this happened, and now Stacy Downey is here. Were yeah. you? Was that when you were kind of like, I'm really gonna give this a proper go now? I think like you know you know that way when you see something, and, and in the stadium, the thing that got me was you walked past the high jump mat and it had Gothenburg 2006 in it, where the European Championships had been. All right. I think when I hit home, I was like, wait a people who've been here, I watched this last year on TV. Like, it just completely clicked. And then I was like, some of the older team members was like, oh yeah, I remember Michael Johnson competed here as well. And I was like, oh wow, like this is the same stadium. And it's quite a well-renowned place to compete. Mm-hmm. And the stadium wasn't necessarily filled with lots and lots of spectators, but it was filled with quite a decent crowd of people competing, so maybe a couple of thousands. And you're running with having to get used to start commands in Swedish as well. Oh so yeah, of course, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, so you're having to watch other races and think, like, what's that guy saying? Like what is on your marks, what's gets set, and also what happens if it's a false start or when they say stand up please or so you're trying mm-hmm. to listen in to what what's going on. Um and I remember one of the things you won, and this is really funny, again I, I think they're in my middle cabinet at my parents' house, but with green runny uh, bunny rabbit ears was one of the presents I got given for being on the podium. And I was like, What's this to do with? And there's like a, a theme park up the road from the stadium that if you have your number from the youth games you can go, <laughs> go to the theme park. And I could I was like, this is pretty cool. I need to go back to this at some point. I never was allowed really on the Scotland trips to go, but when I went myself with a teammate in 2011, I got to go to this uh, bunny-themed <laughs> So that was one of my weird things I got given for being on a race. Um, so yeah, throughout my university career, I think I was you know, I was pretty lucky. So even I went to that competition a couple of times and it was my first time competing abroad to race. And then I hit home, I was like, wait, now, is this what the professionals do? And, <laughs> Now I had was my Faithful Athletics Weekly that I used to get every week. Mm-hmm. It was not like social media wasn't up and about. You, you'd get your news from a newspaper. You'd get it from like websites and stuff. Um, and I got again a couple of other Scottish international picks that kind of summer. It was like the under twenty three international at Derby, and it was pretty cool to get named at all in the kind of Scottish Athletics kind of review of the event. But when I got named above people like Ailey Child in that event, it was like I'd won the 200, the 100, the 4 by one and I'd won all my events. And it, I was named like as one of the kind of performances of the day. And it was ahead of her, who you know, she'd already won her event. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Because she'd already, I think she'd run for GB Juniors at that point. At Loughborough okay. International. Um, and 2007, again, I got picked to run at the Loughborough International, which is quite a, a big thing in the relay, the 4 by one relay. Um, running with people, you know, in a team like Susan Deakin, who'd been on Commonwealth Games teams and World Championship teams, and mm-hmm. she'd been multiple Scottish champion. 
So to be running and trying to pass the baton to her was very daunting. Um, <laughs> that being quite a stressful experience <laughs> compared with Sweden, which was quite a, a relaxed and chilled experience. Um, my first time competing abroad. So it was, yeah, that summer I had like three or four international picks, which was, yeah, it was a brilliant year. 2007 was just one of these years that you think back and think that was just everything went to plan. And even 2008, um, I had a slight injury that I needed surgery for, so I can couldn't quite perform as quick as I'd done in 2007. But right. I actually surpassed my results, bizarrely enough. So um, when I was under 23 for the first time, I went down to Bedford and I'd come seventh year before in English champs. And this time around, I came second in under 23. So I was like, pretty, this is pretty cool. Um, wow. Child at the time, my friend and um, my girl called Sylvia Camia, they'd both done really well on the 400 hurdles. And I've got this picture of us next to the stadium with my medal. And I'm thinking, this is pretty good going, you know, to get a silver amongst all the English girls, the Welsh girls. Um, you know, I obviously must be doing pretty well. So 2008, I had high hopes, right? I'm going to go in and I need to win this now. You know, I've, I've done, I've won everything you could have done in Scotland. So I won the under 23 double again, the 100, 200. And I went and competed for the first time in the Scottish seniors. And I actually ran against, I've got this cool picture uh, to show Sam. I love, I love, I love that you brought props as well. This is amazing. Uh, I know. <laughs> here. So um, this picture here from the Scotsman, um, mm -hmm. hopefully you can see without the reflection. Um, oh, I'm, I'm 310, that's me over there with my short haircut. And Christina Hurugu was in the middle. Okay, a famous name there. everybody will know. Yeah, and I didn't realise like Christine had been, uh, at this point, wasn't allowed to compete for a year after... Um, the World Championships or Comic Games, I think, in 2006 because of, like, she missed three drugs tests. Mm -hmm. At the time, I didn't know much about it, um, but she turned up to run at Scottsdale and she turned up in my 200 metre heat on the on the Sunday and I thought, oh, well, like, you know, somebody to go for. Um, yeah. So I ran against um, her in the 200 metres and she won it in, like, 23.8 something and I was third in 24.08 or 24.09 Monday and that's one of my quickest ever times regardless of age like that was one of my best performances mm -hmm. and that picture it looks like we're all in a line um, <laughs> 20 or 30 meters to the line and we're not far off it but I just remember looking at my face and thinking Cricky I really wanted to beat her um and after that race she went on to Osaka and won it she was the world champion yeah. she went off to Beijing the year after and was Olympic champion I was thinking what like I just ran against yeah. I, I was not I was not far behind you and now you're at the Olympics so it was amazing and even the top Scottish athletes, so even like Susan there, I was like, right, I want to be beating Susan because it, it turned mm -hmm. out it was one of her last ever races. I think that was her last race before she retired. And she'd been somebody I really looked up to for performances wise to try and beat. But unfortunately I was like half a meter behind her. It wasn't gonna happen. But um, that summer was like a, a bolt from the blue actually thinking back. I also ran against Jessica Ennis at a race across in Grangemouth. It was oh, called right. the Delta Cup and it was on TV, like Sky Sports had picked it up. You had like Lee McConnell was in it, and I was on the development team for Scotland. So you had your eight athletes, and four of them were juniors, and four of them were seniors. And I came fourth. Um, I beat people that went on to the Comic Games in 2010, like Amy Foster for Northern Ireland. And I wasn't far behind Jessica, and I think she ran 23.5, and I was 24.1. And I thought, I'm not far behind you. And she went off to Osaka and got a medal. And I'm, you know, it's, it's these sort of moments that you kind of forget, like they're the top of their game at that point. Mm -hmm. um, so I was very much I didn't really want to fill in a line if that makes sense I wanted to have a good performance and show I deserved to be there yeah um, you weren't there just to make up the numbers you're like this no. is this is as much my competition as it is yours 
No, definitely. And I think like championships wise, I think I'm like a championship performer because my dad was looking through some medals. He's like, I think about two thirds of your medals are gold. I don't think you like losing, Stacey. I was like, well, maybe it's just opportunities I've taken, but it's about doing Give yourself some credit. There's no such thing as taking opportunities. There's earning medals. You don't like, nobody says you win a medal, you earn a medal. Oh yeah, yeah. You've got to turn up and and compete in. So I think, um, yeah, one of my, my defining moments, so I was to pick any for my career, it's probably been that first Scottish titles when I was like on 20, definitely up there. Um, competing across in Sweden, being like my first international abroad was a pretty cool one. But one of my favourite ever medals is this one. So, um, and my dad is probably unhappy I've taken it from the cabinet because he always needs to get them. But I've got this one and it's from, it's winning English athletics medal is pretty cool. Um yeah. I was a bit of an unexpected winner so like I said I'd had a bit of an injury that uh, winter that I needed some bit of surgery for and turns out that you know go down to the British champs um, I'd organised my hotel and done everything as I thought we turned up in Bedford and it turned out my hotel booking was wrong mm-hmm. and that I booked it for the wrong month it was May I booked it for I'm like oh dear okay um, oh, no. so if you've got a room for the night great so we've got a room for tonight but not for tomorrow but here's another hotel you could go to I was like oh phew right solve that problem um, so got in the 100 meter final I think I was fifth and I remember saying to my coach Charlie I was like yeah I'm, I'm pretty optimistic you know I think this race tomorrow I could do pretty well and if it's the same sort of girls I think I'm gonna be up there trying to push to win it this time um so I wasn't allowed any pudding wasn't allowed no. to go anywhere near the sweet treats I had to stick to my um you know mains and you know healthy diet because if you're too full, he always believes that you're too full or too heavy, or even if you drank too much water, that it's just going to sit there. You need to be yeah. right hydration and not, you know, eat the right thing. Keep it simple, you know. So I went out and um, did the heat, and I remember finishing. I came second, and I was like, I don't feel very good. It's like, what's wrong with me here? Like, I think it was that hot down in Bedford. With the, it was very windy as well. I was like, I don't feel very good. My mum's like, well, maybe we need to get your nice lolly to try and rehydrate you a wee bit. So I just don't think I was maybe feeling 100%. Well, somehow, I don't know what happened in the final. I remember walking around with Charlie beforehand and he was like, yeah, if God wants you to win it, you're going to win it. And I'm, I'm not particularly religious, but I always believe that, like, like you say, you've got to make, you take the opportunity and make it something. Yeah. Um, and I often, this is a race I often walk, like, watch back in a bit of disbelief, to be honest, because I wasn't as great a shape as I should have been the year before. So I didn't right. have that natural confidence going into it as, like, I'm the fastest on paper. I probably wasn't. I think I was maybe third or fourth on times that year. But as soon as the gun went, I was like, wait, this is mine. Like tunnel vision definitely happened in home straight. Um, and I only won it by like 0.1, 0.2 of a second. And I beat probably the girl who's a favourite. I beat the girl who beat me in the heat as well. And yeah, it's, it's pretty special. It's my only like kind of global me- like medal in the UK. Like you have to be up there when you're a junior to be winning this is like the pinnacle. Right. But again, it's under 23s and like I'd won all the Scottish ones. Um, and I kept winning so that's, my so that's under 23s, 200 metres gold. So, yeah, like, it's pretty cool to be in 2008. I remember the write-up. It was like, and Stacey won a surprise gold. And I was like, well, I did, yeah. And I took advantage how, of it. How condescending. <laughs> Stacey Downey earned that gold. No, oh, exactly. So, um, like, at the time, I was like, well, I'm still improving. Um, mm-hmm. And I was with Charlie. Like, I, I think for me, like, it's, I don't know if it's kind of sunk into me how many gold medals I won with him, but it was something like, under 20 golds, under 23 golds, but like consecutive years. I won like four years in a row, consecutive golds for under 23 and under 20. And the universities, apart from one silver, I won like seven golds and one silver. And that's quite, oh. that's pretty, like when I think back, I was thinking I was pretty dominant, but I didn't realize how dominant. 
not until you go, oh, wait a minute, what year was that one? All oh, right, okay. And at the time, I just took it as, well, I've done that last year, so I should be matching it or doing better. So um, it came to after that competition, and that one's quite defining for me because after that, I remember a couple of days later, I'd been in touch with local papers and stuff. But Charlie mm-hmm. went to me, like, I'm, I'm sorry, Stacey, I don't know if I could take you much further in the sport. I think I've got you to where I can get you. It might be better for you now to train with other girls who are you know, competing day, day, day in, day out and doing this sort of thing. So at that point, he was put me in touch with Edinburgh Athletic Club and said, you know, maybe you should train with the coaches there um, and work with Bill Walker, who'd worked with Alan Wells, and he'd had obviously some great success with him in the 80s. And so it was quite a weird one for me to be in my last year at uni. Mm-hmm. And I've had all this change. So uni changed from terms to semesters. I was doing my dissertation. I was at home a lot of the time. And I'd lost this massive support in my life. Um, yeah. Somebody that I, you know, he was really somebody that went above and beyond so he actually helped me get some funding when I was 2021 um from this private sponsor that allowed Charlie and I to use it for expenses for training and for traveling to competitions and things like that so it meant that Charlie could come down to Bedford with me for the British Championships um but yeah it's one of the most amazing moments and pictures I've got is him and I with this medal and a couple of days later he's saying sorry I can't coach you anymore I just thought whoa like that's you know that was pretty hard I remember going into my next competition my heart wasn't in it because you know, you know, I'd always want to phone Charlie afterwards and be like, "Oh, look, how's this how I've done? Like, pretty happy." And it was a different thing completely. Um, so university life for me, like my athletics, was really, really good. And I think having those kind of three years of doing really well, but that last year at uni was a bit of a struggle because I was like, oh, "Okay, so I've got to my fourth year at uni is probably a bit more worth more than my say fifth, sixth year at high school. So how on earth am I going to do this?" So I'm traveling down. To see him all the time to now commuting from one side of town to the other to Medibank. So my life completely changed where I trained um, and obviously how often I trained as well. So Charlie being really good at keeping and holding me back, I think. So I didn't train 400 metres at this point. I was very much 100, right. 200. Oh, so you, you, are you holding you back as in like keeping you grounded? A wee bit, but also like athletics wise, like allowing me to go in there and win everything. So I think at right. 16 you said that I was good enough to go and win, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't. I wouldn't make a statement. I, w- I might have got beat by a couple okay. of girls. They just want me to go in there and smash it and show, you know, like I have been training away, but, you know, I have been here the whole time, but people haven't heard of me because I don't, there's not a club I train with it. So I'm all, I'm training on grass. And, you know, it's quite common in the borders, I think, to have a couple of runners that are from, from places that you don't have anywhere to train. Whereas it's quite common for people in cities to have clubs they find. Yeah. to work with and you'd find other athletes to train with and stuff so yeah I used to train on my own quite a lot with Charlie sometimes it'd just be him and I or another athlete and him and but just the confidence he gave me was just yeah second to none that's probably why I kept winning everything as soon as a championship came especially if he was there but often he wasn't there either but if he was there I always usually won more times than I lost wow so, well, what, yeah, a man, so- what a man as well like that change must have been so Cause that, so you've so I assume that was your final year of uni. So you're just finishing uni. So yeah, you're been, you're you're finishing yeah. education. You're losing your coach who's been there for close to ten years at that point, more than ten years. Yeah, because yeah, so it was, was like, 12, 13, wasn't it? Yeah, so I'd had um I had one more year of uni to go actually. Right. But it was a tough one. Um, mm-hmm. I did all my exams, and yeah, it's, it's I still kind of like shake my head and go. But he just got me as an athlete. But like you say, he'd worked with me for so long that he knew yeah. exactly how to work with me. 
he trained me as a person. He didn't train me for the sport. He trained the way that I worked and why I ticked. So he knew that, like you were saying about the steeliness behind the friendliness. Yeah. For me to be focused, he had to get me to shut off and not speak to people. Mm-hmm. And focus entirely on all my energies in this one thing. And as soon as the gun went, you know, the performance came and I can really see why. He's like, you need to be selfish. You need to focus on what you're doing. You know, you've got to be organized. And he really instilled that kind of discipline of always be early for things, always be organized the night before, always make sure your spikes are tight and you've done all that before you get there. Um, lay out your clothes the night before. And it was just really good practice for sport because it's the same thing as life, isn't it? Like laying your clothes out night before means you're more prepared and, yeah. um, you know, be in touch, like find out how long it's going to take you to get to the venue and all that sort of stuff. So he often used to pick me up and take me through. So when I ran at the Celtic Cup in 2007, he let my parents make their own way, but he drove me through so that I could be focused completely on my race because it's a big deal. It's an international, it's on TV. It's it's yeah. it's a huge deal. So um, to lose that person who, yeah, he was like a third parent, really. That's <laughs> what you said. You, you were seeing him when you were seeing your actual parents at some point. Yeah, and I think he probably got to know the real me as a teenager as well because like you can't, I don't think you can hide in sport athletics you can't so you know like of course there was times when things didn't go so well and like I had a back issue I've still got it today like it's a kind of pelvis issue where I've got to wear orthotics for and he helped me work out what was going on with that and of course when you get a sore back and you're you're running and you're not feeling 100% and you don't really know where your power's coming from like I'd been a gymnastic kind of freak when I was younger I used to love it all the time and do vaulting Mm -hmm. and stuff I was probably overly mobile in certain parts of my back so to be a sprinter when you're needing everything rigid to work, it was the total opposite. So he took me through to specialist to see what was going on with my back when I was 16 and got my orthotics. And that's probably why, maybe what's why I didn't do so well when I was younger in my teen years. Could be because I was going so quick and I hadn't quite developed. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm really grateful for him for putting all that time and effort in. And, you know, when I look back, like that, that upbringing in the sport, like it didn't matter what time I ran in training because whatever... Like it's, it's like setting a limitation on yourself he always said mm-hmm. that if I told you what you ran you would think that's all you're worth whereas if you don't know what you're running you just run, you know what it's like to run and I think his feeling was competing the Highland Games as well as the track stuff so you learn how to race so you're not racing for a time you're actually racing for a position um, and I still think that's given me an, uh, an advantage that maybe not a lot, a lot of athletes have um, because leaving mm-hmm. that set up to go to um, the Edinburgh C group through with Bill Walker, like it went from, you could train up to six days a week if you wanted. And the training was totally different. Instead of it being maybe two days running, day off, like two days running, and then you maybe have two or three days in a row, but never like four or five, to like what professionals would probably have done, you know, like having circuit training and runs in the same session. Then the next mm-hmm. day, four runs. Then you're another day, you're going to do like short sprints, and then the other day is going to be the same as Monday, but it will be a different type of running session. Then Friday you get off, but then Saturday's is a hard session. And Sunday would be hill training. So some of it was similar, but the intensity which you trained was far harder and higher. Um, so in my last year at uni, I had the balance of, well, I've been working at Ikea at this point. I'm going to have to maybe cut that back or work in mm-hmm. a week or something. So having to juggle that and also do my dissertation, but also train in this new group, which is a bit odd. Um, and had my first winter with that group so I really believe like Charlie's training helped me because I still kept improving I still ran for Scotland but then the end of 2008 I got my first Scottish title so just a couple of weeks after leaving Charlie and moving groups I won my first Scottish title senior and then the next again year I won it again 
and had a quicker time. So I really believe like my competitiveness I was like I still kept improving even though I had this mm-hmm. change in my setup. And then obviously seeing what the professionals did. But then training on grass all my life and then going on to on the track all the time didn't really play well with my body unfortunately. So twenty ten that's like even because I not to not to make this about me, but like so my my reference for that and what my listeners might understand more is the difference between a grass pitch and an artificial pitch in rugby. And you you talk to you talk to any rugby player or professional athlete, the difference on that and like even your lower like I used to say all the time, like getting tackled on it hurts because it's not grass. Mm. But every player would walk off clutching their lower back and like the like the bottom of their glutes where it's all all the shock absorbs come through. Yeah. So I completely get what you mean by the track, the difference between the track and the grass. Because it's just like every track's different as well, and it it's maybe I was lucky that Meadowbank, the old kind of track, had a really quite nice soft, bouncy track on the inside. Mm. And outside, it was slightly harder. But um, to be running in the like the special spike shoes that I wear all the time on that, your calves and your legs just take an absolute hit. So your 2009 was a pretty good year, but then 2010, I ended up with like sciatica, and I couldn't get rid of it the oh, whole no. year. And at that point, it was like, well, maybe we need to change your orthotics. And I was really lucky to have found a physio in Edinburgh who could actually look at it and be like, right, I know exactly what to do with you. Um, and then 2011, so um, I was always really a one-two runner up to that point. Right. Um, and Bill Walker was like, well, I think you're pretty good. At, you could be pretty good at 400. And at 2009, at the end so of the So season, when, when he made that, sorry to interrupt you, when you, when you made that decision to go from one to 200, uh, one and two to two and four, were you finding already the success was coming more in the 200 and the 100 was almost like your warm-up into the race weekend or the race meet? Yeah, so um, yeah. my 100 metres, when I was younger, like under 16, was probably my better event. Right. Like the amount of training I'd done. But from, yeah, 16 onwards, I was definitely more of a 200 metre runner. So although I was winning like the 100 metres at like Scottish under 20s, under 23s, I was running pretty decent times, but they weren't like shattering for... You know, yeah. 12 flat or, you know, at that point, 12.0 is what I'd run. That's nothing special when it comes down to England because you were needing to run 11.5. Whereas in the 200, like, I could run a flying 100 and add it on to the 12 flat and be running 24 one. So I was running better the longer I went. So all the training Charlie did with the 150s, I think, has helped because yeah. I the 150 in the race and be like, oh, it's fine. I've just got 50 to go and it was fine, you know. Um I remember I was funded by the Athlete Support Programme in Peebles at the time. It just started up in 2008. And I remember going to meet with them and chat about my goals. And I remember Bill at this point saying, I think you could be pretty good at 400, you know, have you ever tried it? And I'm like, nope. Like, nope. <laughs> 400 metres is something I don't think anybody wants to try. <laughs> you it's look at it and go, hmm, you know, that looks pretty hard. That's a long way. That's a full lap. Um, yeah. <laughs> And I think I'd done like maybe four by one relays, you know, I'd done all the kind of sprint events, 60 metres, 200 metres indoors, but I'd stayed well away from the 400. Um, but being the kind of runner I was, like I have got a really long stride, so it would, you know, natural progression would have been to give, you know, the 400 a try. So I competed out in Belgium in a international meet in July of 2019, eh, sorry, 2009, and um, competed in a place called Urdegum, um, which is quite a famous place to go now at the end of May for fast time. But at the time we got taken out there, there was a meeting in July. Um, and they said, oh, there is other meetings. They're called the Flanders Cup. And if you want to come back, you can maybe try other events. So I'd really enjoyed this trip. And I thought, oh, okay. So another meet a couple of weeks later. And there was one for a 300 metres. And I remember Bill right. saying, yeah, that's a good idea. Why don't you go and try the 200 and 300? Go out to Belgium, give it a go. 
and see how you got on. Um, and this is me just finishing uni as well. So it was kind of, you know, nice to kind of have, you know, got my 2-1 and my degree, really chuffed with that. I thought a little bit of time to celebrate, go out there and see how I got on. Um, you, are, you are the only person that picks a 200 metre international event as a way to celebrate finishing uni. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm the same in that way to other people. Um, I think a meal with my family was like the only thing I remember celebrating, to be honest. Never been much for drinking or anything like that. So, um, yeah, my celebration was always meal, cinema, um, or traveling if I could get it. So, um, yeah, I was, I was at this point, I think, you know, social media was becoming a bit bigger. Facebook right. had around, although I don't know if I had it at that point. Um, but I remember, you know, getting quite familiar with looking up for where races were and finding mm-hmm. all these places. So I turned up and uh, arrived in Brussels, got onto a bus, ended up to the Brussels station, then got the train to go and meet this random family who I was staying with, who oh, happened to, they were, their daughter was doing the meet as well as a long jumper and turns up at the house and it turns up one of the top long jumpers in the world at that point, she hadn't won anything. Was Brittany Reese was staying in the same house? These runners, and I'm thinking, wait, the night, like, you know, I've never met somebody that slept so much. All she did was sleep, and I guess the jet lag <laughs> must have happened. But even the day of the meet, she's getting up, getting her breakfast, and going back to sleep. And I was just quite impressed at what. I, I just thought it'd be a bit rude if I did that. You know, like I need to yeah. um, focus on my competition and, and you know take it all in. But she'd watched. I think the London Diamond League was on. And I watched okay. the TV the night before the meet and she was watching all the competition and she was using this competition as a pre-meet for her to go into Berlin that same right. summer. So I, yeah, she goes out and jumps like 675, like a massive jump for the competition. I go out there and break 40 seconds for the 300, which is a pretty decent mark, uh, 3950. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually still my PB for the 300. I've not done it many much. Um, so I got my kind of first inklings and wow, like I know what lactic feels like. I feel quite sick. Um, yeah. and you know put the foot down I thought yeah I could have I'm sure I could have run out harder at the start there like I was I really enjoyed that but wow that was different and to be around somebody like her who then went on to win everything you could win in the sport but multiple years indoor outdoor jumping amazing championship records and stuff and you had to meet her and be at the same competition and just opportunities from when I left university I you know and I had kind of 2009 I was still improving I thought well I'm 22 like she's 24 and she's a professional competing around the world. And it was just quite amazing to be around that kind of athlete. And the best, we always felt, I always felt I was a 200 meter runner. Charlie thought the same. But Bill was like, I think you've got a lot of potential in the 400. I think you could show a lot here and actually, you know, like do some damage like in the Scottish scene, but also internationally. Um, and being honest, I don't think I ever completely believed him. Right. I, I quite believed I, I could ever run the 400. I don't know if it's a mind versus matter thing, but I think because um like 2010 was it was quite a good year for me, but I didn't like improve my times or anything like that. Um, had quite consistent runs, but like I say, I got sciatica and got injured and wasn't as great as I'd hoped. So my first proper year into 400 meter running wasn't great. Like I'd hoped to go in there and smash good times, and at the end of 2009, I'd run a few and I went absolutely tanking off, and. Yeah. Uh, came in the last 150 with a huge elephant on my back and finished in a complete state but ran a massive uh, personal best of like 56.5 at the time which was pretty a pretty good time for like a 22 year old um and I thought whoa is that what a 400 meter feels like you know I've got a long way to go because I you know I had no idea how to run this event I was gonna say um, yeah you, d- you didn't know how to run the race you were still running two 200s effectively almost 
pretty much yeah because yeah. i ran one the week before and it's like yeah just go through in about 28 seconds and just see how you get on the second 200 and i was like yeah i went through in 28 and then ran 29 that's 57 that's a bit slow like I, i've got a lot more speed in my tank i should really be going out a lot harder so mm. i went out a lot harder the next race and then paid for it so um yeah like training for the 400 meters is is again very hard <laughs> so to run the extra distance you need the extra distance in your legs so like mm-hmm. then the plan had been to move up gradually over the next couple of years 2010 got the sat card turned out my back just didn't i think it was the track again i hadn't quite adjusted to the full training but at this point i was committed to the full-time training that you know bill had set for me and it would be six days a week you know but every day had running it and yeah, so you didn't really get to rest it or recover it either no so you had one day off like a friday but it, the conditioning was from the running rather than proper gym work or anything like that. So it'd be yeah. circuit training based. But as the year went on, you would change the running to different thing. Um, and I would sometimes go on the grass just to save my legs a little bit if they were feeling funny. Um, but his idea was, right, okay, if you want to try to aim for, you know, the 2010 Comedy Games was the aim at that point. Um, unfortunately, that year with the injury didn't really, you know, having the Satika, it was a bit of a, a known one. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time I didn't know how to get rid of it or anything I've since le- learned how to do it now but at the time I was like I don't have a clue how to get rid of this injury and I needed to I used to wear just bare feet and my spikes and I didn't have any socks on or anything so from that point onwards I changed the spike I wore to a bit more supportive spike and I wore orthotics in them mm-hmm. and help my back and it, it paid dividends because that next year in 2011 I was actually leading the UK rankings in April at one point I was first in like the first weekend in April which is pretty cool because I don't think anyone else would race at that point but I'd smashed my personal best and I had a huge breakthrough and I thought well I've trained really hard this year but it's been from the training like a 300 meter runner I didn't quite do the full 400 meter training but I trained kind of almost like three quarters of it so that I could gradually build it in over the next couple of years um and that's a really good decision I think that Bill made because it meant that I got used to running 400s, but I still was doing my sprints. I was still doing 100, 200. Um, and, you know, smashed my personal best, got under 24 seconds, 23.8, you know, pretty decent mark from lane one. Um, and in the same race, you had a girl, Margaret Adoye, that got the Olympic qualifier, and she went off to London 2012 next year. Um, and I beat a girl in that race who had been at Olympics in 20, uh, 2008 in the four before. So to be beaten by a hundredth of a second somebody that's been to Olympics, and ahead of me, it was two girls. One of them was going to Olympics, and then the girl Louise Bloor, she went to Rio as well in 2016. Yeah. So I was among, I was surrounded by Olympians. So I didn't realize how good I actually was at that point to be putting those performances out. And I smashed a couple of 400s out just for fun and ran 54.8. I smashed like a couple of seconds off my PB, and you know, I was putting times down that you know were pretty good, but again, my 200 meter speed is what got me around. Um, I remember finishing the 400 feeling a bit sick as most people do mm-hmm. um, and that was just a, a turning point i thought okay well i'll put the hard work in and train it and the race is the easy part um and i kind of used that season to introduce i had my five kind of races across the 400s and got used to them and again 2012 was meant to be the year to push on again and unfortunately picked up an ankle tear oh, so it's been a bit like amazing playing sailing you know, for the last four or five years and then all of a sudden doing amazing mm-hmm. and then oh sorry a bit too much there I need to come back about and it was really frustrating I have to say looking back I'm thinking this 400 meter train in malarkey is not easy um, and it's obviously my body is used to less is more and yeah it was, wasn't easy even though I was working like full time 
like doing like an admin job just to kind of support my running and um, had some local funding for like physio and stuff like that, the athlete support program. Like I realized that I was doing a job that was kind of helping my running, but it wasn't career wise what I probably would want to do in the long term. Yeah. Um, so having those kind of like zigzag years, I could easily have dropped out of the sport. I think, you yeah. know, you know, having had the success I'd had, like, in 2011, I'm running against Lee McConnell and she's winning the Scottish title and I'm second and I ran 23-8 behind her and she's 23-4 or 23-5 or something. I was beating her on the bend that's coming up on her shoulder. So next year, you can't run because you've got crippling pain in your back or your foot's not quite strong enough. And it's like, you know, and the injury prevention part of running, I think for running as much as I did, mm-hmm. hindsight's a great thing, but I probably shouldn't have done as much as I did because I didn't do that with Charlie. So you know, trying to change, you know, it's good to change one thing at a time rather than... Yeah, you, you know, you've kind of gone from far left and far right in a non-political term. You've gone complete opposite swing. So you're doing far more than what you used to do. Um, and, of course, it's the type of shoes you run in as well. Um, you might not so, be able to train. So how... Um, this is You've touched nicely on a point here in this. Like, It might get a bit emotional for you because it's, it's clear just in the tone of your voice how that affected you, but... The, so the way I've always looked at the Olympics and then when I had Ryan Owens on a track cyclist, he said, you are doing what can sometimes be not even a four-year cycle. You can be doing an eight-year cycle that you know is coming down to, in your case, so say the 30, the, the, the 20-odd seconds for the 200 or the 50-odd seconds for the 400. And that is a, like, it, it's like, it's like, you know, the cliches they always say, it's like, you're doing hundreds of days worth of work. For this one day of success and you are even shorter than that you are i'm doing years worth of work for a minute it is all coming down to this one minute so then to even have these situations with the injuries how do these play like take a toll and what do you what do you have to say to yourself to like you say not just give up on the sport and go like this like because it, it'd be very easy for somebody not with the mental fortitude that we spoke about to go Sack this! I'm not working my ass off for something like this to happen. This is, like you said to yourself, you you were very academically inclined. You, as you literally just said there before I te- teed up this question, you could have just gone. I know I could be doing something much better than doing this admin job that I'm doing purely to fund my running. So how does how does the brain work when these situations go? So can you tell me the the a very quick way to sum up the training when you're you're on the high like you were said on the roller coaster, and then tell me how the brain reacts when you get that injury and you miss the, the 2012, the 2012 year doesn't happen that you'd worked for. Oh, it's tough. Cause I think, um, at that point, like, I, I don't know if um, people have this in sport or in life generally, but I remember kind of like, just thinking to myself, like, where's my life going? You know, if I don't have sport, mm-hmm. I've done this job to help support my sport. Like what happens if I don't have my sport? You know, you know I remember thinking, and seeing like other teammates do far better than what I had done. I remember seeing Ailey Child getting picked for the 2012 Olympics. I'd seen people go to the 2010 Commie Games in Delhi. And I was like, wait, now, like I could have been there. Like I could have been closer to what they were doing like in 2010, see? Um, and I just, yeah, I think something deep down inside me was a bit, I think maybe the, again, Charlie's influence helped here. I think knowing that like to get selected, you need to run a time. But for me, mm-hmm. if I was best i should be running the time regardless you know whoever i run it i should be running a good enough performance to qualify for something like that and we're talking margins here of small things like i'm running 23.8 like the olympic standard was 23.3 so half, half a second, second. Yeah. Much, like, 
but at the time, like I was ranked seventeenth in the UK, and I kind of was like, it was pretty cool. And I remember being that, like, I was obsessed with my sport that year, and everything went right. But I think it's because I made it. I made sure everything went right. So I'd be like going to the physio once a month for preventative work on my back or whatever. Any exercises they gave me, I did them. My warm up was the exact same every day so that it came to a competition. I was chilled out. I listened to my coach and got his advice and took advice going into the 400 meters and how to run it. And I remember that year in 2011 that it was quite a significant couple of moments that happened that were out with the sport. There was a girl right. in our group that actually unfortunately died in a plane crash. Um, oh, no. I'm sorry to hear that. I remember, yeah, thanks. I, I remember at the time we were all pretty like, you couldn't believe it, but it was her and her brother both died in the same crash. And she was training to be a pilot. And um, yeah, Carly was somebody in our group that she'd been seriously ill. And to even be thinking being a pilot was a massive deal. And to even go and do that. So I remember like running halfway through the seasons, I'd ran my big PBs in that June and I found out that she'd passed away. And it hit me really hard. Um, to go into my next 400 meter race and Bill was like right you need to go out hard and go for it but I just held back slightly I was too emotional still to really fully mm -hmm. get out of my system so I think in 2012 when I got the, the injury I think it was my first race of the season I tore like my ATFL ligament in my ankle and I remember thinking wow this day was freezing and I've like done this ankle injury it wasn't until the end of the season that I actually got back to the shape I should have been in right the Olympics thinking well you know, like I'm only 23, 24 at this point, you know, I've got plenty of time, but I'm going to have to think like, what am I doing as well as running? Like, I can't just, I've always been like, you're saying like, I've always enjoyed like school and university, but I need something else to get my kind of head around. Otherwise, you know, it's going to be quite hard for me just working in a job to support my running for the next 10 years. So, so you, need, you needed the other stimulant as well. Okay. And I think I'd seen, you know, I thought, long and hard about what I would do I'd applied for different masters in like sports nutrition and you know thought about going to Brunel University I thought like where do I go for um academics and for sport you know I very much looked everywhere around the UK to see what would be the best fit and then I discovered that you know teaching they actually paid for it for you I was like well that sounds mm -hmm. pretty cool um, that must have been a nice change to have something where somebody pays for something for you yeah and like your fees are paid for you and you don't have to worry about it I was like oh that pays and you know, my uni lecturer had said, you know, if you want as a reference, or even Mrs. Hunter asked her for a reference at People's High and went in in 2011, did some volunteer work and got to see the PE department. And, you know, I thought, is this for me? Um, and then I applied and I was one of only 26 people to get in the postgrad, which is out of wow. over 150 applicants or something like that. So we were, you know, the lucky chosen few. Um, and again, because I'd had the injury in 2012, I was thinking, well, it meant I had something else to think about. So I went back and did my postgrad. And I somehow, I don't know how I managed to do this, but somehow managed to still train whilst doing a postgraduate teaching degree, which is in 10 months time is like squeezed in three placements, having to train, like some of the times I'd have to train on my days off, like on a Friday, because yeah. I couldn't quite train through the week. And, and, this, is, and this is all while rehabbing an injury as well. Yeah, um, I'm just very lucky that I'd got a very good physio that could help me rehab that injury. So I was back training within a couple of weeks. Wow. Yeah rather than a couple of months that might have happened. So getting out and mobilised and then the tear completely healed. And it was just a case of strengthening the foot back up. It was actually an okay injury to have had. You know, hamstring or something else might have taken longer. So um, how, how long traditionally is your, your AFL tear? How long is that if you were to do, I don't know what the word, conventional yeah, sit-out time would be? So I was a 
think I, I'd had the same injury in 2009. I was out for 12 weeks and I'd, I'd ruptured it because I hurt right. This one was definitely... Ne- never a nice experience to hear something in your own body pop. No, not at all. Um, this was very much a grade one. So it was, you know, quite limited mm-hmm. time to heal. Um, and I was just lucky that, you know, I was always quite adamant if I had anything that you looked at, whether it's a sports massage or he did, or if it was a, a physio appointment or something, or whether I needed a quieter night at training, I would try and adapt to suit. Um, so I learned mm-hmm. the hard way over the years of training with Phil. And again, that you can't be pushing yourself in every single training session. You need to kind of run at like 90%. So you've always got that reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was trying to like work full time and train full time, you, you know, I was picking up colds, I was getting ill, I wasn't maybe resting as well as I could have done. Um, and then when doing my teaching degree, it's understandable that, you know, I had to put that first to get through it first and foremost. But I knew if I had those two years, you know, doing that plus my probation year, that I'd then be qualified and that would give me that to fall back on. Mm-hmm. So it very much was a case of, you know, I knew the Commonwealth Games were coming up in 2014. And I knew that, you know, my teaching degree, I'd be finished and I'd have a chance to kind of aim at that. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, didn't quite run the time that was needed to run there. I, at that point, I kind of moved back towards ones and twos to try and get my speed back that I'd kind of lost. Mm-hmm. I was looking for some consistency because in athletics, you do need like three good years in a row to try and improve and build on. And as I said, like my early five years, my career went great. <laughs> like, you know, having to zigzag up and down. And, you know, it's, it's really tough to manage full-time work and also training at the level you need to to be able to get picked and it's all small margins like if you're put in perspective the time I needed to run at the Commonwealth Games is only 0.25 quicker than my PB that's nothing that's, that's one good race on a sunny day um that's a, so if you don't if you don't mind me asking like this this is a very personal question but um so when you when you missed out on that Commonwealth Games like you said it was a matter of margins the 0.25 seconds does your brain, because my, my, this is the only way I can even try to understand how you feel in this situation is to put myself in your shoes. And my brain would immediately gone back and gone, what would have happened if I hadn't just done the two years placement? And what did you, th- did your brain go that way? Or were you just thinking just, well, there's nothing I can do about it now. So what's the next target? Yeah, I guess like looking at the four year cycles, um, mm-hmm. Like I knew when I was 16, I wrote this big list of everything that I wanted to achieve in the sport. And right. it was like one for GB. Mm-hmm. It was win a Scottish title. It was um, win my Scottish title again, like regain it, you know, not just win it once in a year. It was things like run a certain time. Um, another one on the top of the list was run at the Commonwealth Games. Right. It was I want to be at the top of my sport. So I kind of timed it that in 2011, I had a great year and I was trying to apply for teaching at that point. But I didn't get in that year, so I had to kind of wait in our, you know, until 2012. So I only found out the February 2012 I'd got in. So I was looking at other opportunities, like, for instance, going to Camp America or doing, like, these kind of sport camps mm-hmm. in the summer. But I'd had the injury in 2012, so I thought I may as well use the time off <coughs> yeah, um, to really fully heal and then go and, you know, enjoy my life a little bit as well and get a bit more of a worldly experience and come back and be fresher for it. Um. So yeah, I never went to, to Camp America because I found out I got my space in uh, teaching. So I had the choice of going out there and missing the first two weeks of my course or, you know, I th- being the kind of studious person I am, I thought I better not miss anything. I better be here for it. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of tried to time it so that I'd be fine for the 2014 games. So 2013, I kind of came in some good form again, went down to the British unis, came fifth 
in the final, uh, did pretty well. You know, to get to the final at the British Universities is pretty hard going anyway. It's quite an early competition. And yeah, thought I'd thought I'd timed it well. Um, I found going back to university a bit of a struggle. And Bill and I at that point, we kind of fell out actually. Um, he right. didn't, didn't really support what I was doing, going back to university. And even though I was saying it's about the timing of it, I'm trying to time it so that I'm fresh and fine to go. Um, we kind of fell out and um, the university was wanting to support me to use their performance gym and I thought that'd be a good idea to use it. So I worked with um, a guy who'd been head of Scottish Athletics at one point, a guy called Nigel Hetherington. Um, right, I recognise, I've heard that name before, so. Yeah, he'd uh, been at Scottish Athletics and gave me my first international and he'd see my progress and you could, could tell that, you know, something had happened in 2012, I'd kind of fell off and I hadn't performed how I should have done. And he got in touch with me and said, you know, what's going on with you? Um, you know, you should be progressing. And he'd see me with Charlie and the limited facilities I'd had and training on grass and he was really supportive and said, look, I can help you. Um, focus a bit more and, and work on a, on a program to help get you back. So 2013 I had a pretty good year, pretty good indoor season. Um, went outdoors and I was the university captain for like the international. So I'd won the kind of um, the 100 and the 200 there and I kind of stuck more to FOBA ones, but I was still doing FOBA fours for a bit of fun. And then end up, um, yeah, thinking that, you know, Nigel would be the person to try and help me go from 2013 into 2014. And then the qualifying period was like similar to this year, like the middle of June. Um, mm. And I don't know if I just didn't respond to the same way I should have done for the training, but it didn't quite work for me the way that other trainings had worked. Um, with Charlie, like everything seemed to work. And with Bill, yeah. most of it worked pretty well. Um, but yeah, I got too heavy. We tried to do weight training. It just didn't suit me and ended up kind of putting on a bit of weight, which is not ideal in a sprint event. You don't want to be carrying that down the track and didn't really get injured or anything. It just, training wise, it just didn't suit. So the February 2014, at the same time, Nigel got a bit ill actually. Um, and at that point I didn't have a coach. So I went back to, to Bill at the club and said, look, can I join him in sessions for you because I'm training on my own. And mm. at that point I kind of, knew it was a bit it would be quite tough to get the work behind me at this point you need to have done it for at least six months before to get in that chance to kind of get there um so yeah unfortunately 2014 the summer didn't quite pan out the way i wanted and i'm watching in the stadium in hamden amazing event watching the events and i'm thinking should have been here it, it really should have been me yeah and it just yeah it's heartbreaking thinking home games as well yeah that's what i'm and thinking there so um yeah, the one thing that not a lot of people know about me actually though is because the like, guy knew when by the time kind of I had a backup plan that if I didn't get to qualify, I thought I need yeah. to be involved in this Commonwealth Games somehow. So I'm, I kind of went to an audition and auditioned to be in the opening ceremony for the Commonwealth Games. All right, okay. I'll commit to this if I don't get picked as an athlete. And I knew kind of, you know, having come back from the form I was in in 2011, I wasn't quite there and I thought I need to be at that form and pushing on. And I'm only running comparatively like 24-3 or something. So I'm half a second off where I need to be. So I committed to that summer to compete. But at the same point, I was going along on my summer holidays when I was off uni and finished that to go and do all the rehearsals. So I was in that very cheesy opening sketch of the Commonwealth Games with the tea cake. Oh, really? I didn't throw a tea cake or do that. I was a barrel slinger or something, but... um. It was just an amazing thing to be part of and the thrill of when the crowd cheered. Yeah. The fact this hasn't gone to plan for me as an athlete, like I need to take something from this. And the fact that the crowd's cheering, like it gave me as if 
it made me feel as if I was an athlete there. The disappointment. Oh, wow. And that kind of atmosphere. Like, you st I still got, like, I can still think of it now. Like, even when I watch the video of it now, I still get, like, hair raised up in my arms because it was such an amazing thing to have been part of and something to really channel my energy into. And then, you know, from there, I thought, right, okay, next Commonwealth Games, I am going to be there. This mm -hmm. is me, you know? And it kind of meant that, you know, I still remember 2014, I kind of, I knew I kind of wasn't in the greatest shape. Right. I should have been. But now I've got my teaching degree and then obviously trying to find a job. You know, life takes over. You're trying to find a job. I'm still training, but I'm not able to focus on that 100% until I got my first kind of teaching post in the start of 2016 up in um, South Morningside Primary in Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. And that's the best thing that could happen for me. So I can drive in from West London, get into um, work, go straight from work to the track, track then home, and then I've got a good routine going. So it meant that you know, 2016, unfortunately, picked up another injury. And this uh, is and that would and that would have been real, obviously. So yeah, <laughs> I kind of feel like Olympic years. I'm like, what is going on here? Because I've been at 2008 Olympic trials, been at mm -hmm. 2012 Olympic trials. I didn't get to, I went to 2016 Olympic trials, but ended up with a calf injury and I'm icing my calf. That was my kind of reward for going down to Birmingham. Huh. I remember being in this hotel room on my own, feeling miserable. My parents hadn't come down with me that year. I was on my own and I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is not good enough. Like I'm 28, 29 now. Like this, this dream of mine is slipping away. I need to kind of make a go of it. Mm -hmm. I got this notebook um, from Waterstones with lots of gold dots in the front. It's like, I don't be good writing. And right. I just started doodling in it. And I just did the doodle for like the 2017 kind of season. I was like, right, I wrote a few notes. I did the 2018 Gold Coast logo. And I thought, what do I need to do to be the top athlete? And I wrote a massive list of everything. From that point, I really took it upon myself to like make it as best as possible for me to try and qualify for the next one mm -hmm. and have the best work-life balance I could so that I could um, you know, make it to the next game. And it'd be in my prime, really. But... I don't know about you, I've not heard of many teachers, Sam, who've made it in athletics and still competing and doing all this. And that's not a sport that you typically hear. Oh, yeah, you hear about that person. They're also this as well. Yeah. I mean, it's quite an active job. So, yeah, it was always going to be one of these things that's got a very good routine, good holidays. But it's through the day and through the week, you're going to be tiring yourself out to then go and have to you know, be in your feet all day to then go and, and train. Um. And to even like be going into races and being, you know, fully fit, you know, I made the commitment there. I was like, well, you know, I've dabbled with this in the past. I've not quite had the luck I've needed to really give the 400 a goal. Yeah. But for me, in this Commonwealth Games team, my best chance is to try and aim at this four before really spot and to try and get an individual 400 meter time and give myself the best chance going. And I knew that I needed to get as quick as I could over the 100 and the 200 to help my 400. So yeah, 2017 was a, it was a mini project, really. I'd kind of put in everything I could have done. So, so you you almost made a one year all or nothing like an all or nothing mentality. Yeah, um, wow. I was kind of like, well, I'm, I've been around this for a while now. Like, I know how I run, but it was things like you take for granted, like nutrition. Yeah. I would look at, um, I put on school canteens are the most nutritious places. No, exactly. So um, you're going for like, what am I eating at lunch? What am I eating at after school? When am I eating? And I was really considering that and looking that in more detail. Things like I'm asthmatic. Um, do I change my asthma inhaler so that it's actually better for me? Do I get my whole asthma review to see whether I need to have a special tablet to help because I'm training in the cold and 
mm-hmm. turned out my asthma was exercise induced. And I'd go to races sometimes and I'd feel horrendous whilst I'm running a 200. I'm thinking, I'm running indoors. There's no wind here. There's no cold. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'd do all this kind of things behind the scenes. It'd be things like right, going to get my podiatrist, get that checked every six months just to see if my feet, any any adjustment or anything needed to done in orthotics I've got. Or physio would be once a month I'd go again. But I'd make sure that you know, my training was as consistent as it could have been, like my sleep pattern was better. Um, and I met my, I think a, a large part of me being so kind of organized and structured was having the support around me. So mum and dad were still like around there and kind of coming to the competitions. But it was my kind of partner, Callum, that I met in May 2016. He was like a, he had to kind of recreational running. He's from Spring Glasgow. He wasn't really, like he'd come and watch all the events at the Kelvin Hall and stuff. He enjoyed mm-hmm. athletics, but he'd never been around like a proper athlete. Um, and for him to kind of meet me and tell him about my story and stuff, he was really behind me. And I think a large part of why I did so well in 2016, 17, like, you know, it's unheard of people to still be improving in their yeah. therapy. In Scotland, I'd never, there was nobody at my age still competing. There's Ailey Child who was UK funded. There was a couple of other athletes on the, on the guy's side, but there wasn't many females at this point. A lot of them had dropped off throughout their twenties. Um, a lot of my friends had gone, you know, and so I'm now kind of competing trying to you know be like a professional athlete without all the funding I'm having to work full time to do it and I'm using all my kind of holidays to then either train abroad to get the sun mm-hmm. or I'm planning competitions so I was one of these people that's like I'm pretty meticulous like I like to have everything planned out months in advance so that when it comes to the time if you need to adjust things like your race plan or things like that um athletics is a tough one anyway so you need to keep it as simple as possible and you need everything to be in you know, all your eggs need to be in that basket. So you need to have a coaching team that's around you. You need to have training partners to help you. You need to have like somebody you can see as a physio if you need that or a massage therapist if it's after races, trying to flush your legs out. Um, you need to work it like nutrition-wise. Are you the one that's going to be feeding yourself? You know, I'm, I've got my parents who mm-hmm. are, are great to kind of share that kind of load with me. Um, and it's just about your work-life balance. You know, what are you doing on your days off? So mum and dad were good at keeping me grounded and we'd, you know, I'd stay at home. I was back at home at that point. And it was really good for me because it meant I could just focus on going to work, do my job, go training, come home. And some nights of the week, the food would be cooked for me or other nights I'd have to cook my own stuff. And it was fine. And it meant that that was taken care of. And that was an our box ticked. And that support was like day in, day out. Mm-hmm. They know how good I'd been when I was younger. Um, but when it came to the actual summer, like to do a team sport and maybe the comparison between team sport and maybe myself and athletics is like, I wouldn't start the season and be like in the best shape, but you'd have to race throughout the season, maybe similar for games with team. But like you're doing it on your own. You've got nowhere to hide. Like yeah. my time is my performance, like it'll show. But in training, I'll be like putting all the work in. And all you're running for is like 20 seconds. So mum and dad would come down to British Championships. I'm running a 200 meters and 100 meters. That's like 35 seconds of combined time. <laughs> and you're training all that year to run at the biggest competition um, and try to and try to succeed and to try and get through. Um, so having them still motivate me, even though things got difficult and picked up with these, all these annoying injuries, to then come back and then have this year and like almost everything went to plan. So at that kind of time, I was training, you know, five, six days a week. Um, I had you know three or four days of just running different ways like whether it was like tempo running or on the track or whether it was tempo running on grass or whether it was hill running but you still had right. all the 
circuits, which, as you know, they're brutal. They're not easy. Mm-hmm. An hour worth of circuits with cheesy, like, radio in the background was what I had. So, <laughs> um, but you'd be training and, you know, the like your actual, um, like, session. You're in 40 seconds, but you're doing that 15 exercises. You're doing that three times. You'd end up with your pecs. You'd be so sore from doing press-ups. You'd be... Yeah. But it's so I remember I put all that effort in and I always was quite aware that I needed to get the right weight to compete. No one's ever said to me, oh, you're looking heavy or, you know, I've never had that from a career, which I'm quite grateful for. But I always knew at my best, I used to race about 61, 62 kilos. I thought if I'm too heavy or too light, I'm not going to perform well. So it was just things like that that made you aware of, like, the basics. If you don't sleep and eat right, there's no way you can perform well. Mm-hmm. And it turned out, like, this... Um, kind of newfound kind of competitiveness. I thought, well, if I'm going to get in this Commonwealth Games team, I've got this whole year to try and perform. I just broke it up and competed around the UK, went off to Belgium, competed in that Erdogan meet I'd done years ago. And, you know, every time I raced, my time kept coming down. But instead of just sticking with my kind of comfortable events, which I'd always enjoyed, like the 200 metres, I thought, right, I'm going for the 400 now. Yeah. And I'm going from 56 seconds, 56 seven or something. The first race, I got my PB down to 53.9 by the end of July. And in my race, that's um, it's quite a, it's a big chunk to, to take mm-hmm. off the time. And the girl in my race that won it, um, she ran like 53.4 at times. A girl called Jessie Knight that's out at the World Championships just now. Right. The four hurdles. So you know, I was amongst top girls in Britain running really well with them. And at the same race, I had Marilyn Okoro was in my race. I beat her. She was in one of our last races before retiring. Um, I was looking, going, wow, like, when I perform my best, like, I'm really up there and I've got a good chance. So I went into the Scottish Championships that year thinking, right, I've got enough in the tank here. I just need to win this. And I've got a chance of getting on that plane for Australia. Um, I remember turning up to the competition and being absolutely knackered. I'd raced so much that year that mentally I was kind of done. But wow. I just turned up and I thought, right, I need to win this. Come on, Stacey, let's go for it. I just had nothing in the tank when I when I left the blocks. You were just physically done before you even got to the race. I just had done too many races, and yeah, it was, it was difficult because I think, like, I was putting everything I could have done, but I don't think my coach was like quite on the same page as me. He was like, "Yeah, we need to race all the time every weekend," and I'm like, "No, like, if I race all the time, I'm going to be tired." Like, mm-hmm. so yeah, I learned the hard way that you can't do. You sometimes doing less is more, and you know having less races but that I was under I was I think I put myself under quite a bit of pressure that year because I was like right come on but it was always going to come because I put the work in yeah but I was just I came so close so um turned out the top four in the rankings got picked I was fifth and the girl that beat me at Scottish Champs was 0.3 of a second faster than me and she got to go to the common games and I missed out and that was 2018 so yeah heard in like December 2017 the team had been picked and I put an appeal in and said, look, you know, just to say, you know, what's going on? You've named people in the really team that are actually slower than me. Um, mm-hmm. What's going on? But it's they've only got a certain quota of spaces. So they have to take athletes that are already qualified. So there was people in the 800 and the heptathlon that were already there. Right, so okay. And I'm at home watching, basically. So, um, but yeah, that's when I decided, right, I need to make a trip of this and try and get out of my system and, I went over to compete at Gift again. I'd done that when I was 17. And yeah. when I competed again, I thought, may as well make it a holiday. And we went up and watched the Comedy Games and saw some family when I was up there. And it just made the journey kind of feel complete that I gave everything I could have done. 
And, you know, I didn't expect when I was way back 16, 17, you know, did I think I'd still be competing in my early 30s? I don't know. <laughs> Never thought about it. Um, but, you know, I was at my best. I, it was PBing at 30, which is, you know, a lot of the athletes I'd raced against had done that in their early 20s. So, yeah, it was, it was think, I kind of think to myself, like, I probably did the best thing I could have done, like, going back to uni and getting a postgrad mm -hmm. at that point. But it does, I do kind of think, what would have happened if I just kept training? And waited a bit yeah. longer. That's, that's, such a yeah, that's such a tough decision because you were looking, you weren't just looking, like we said at the very start, you were not looking at, you were looking after Stacey Downey, the athlete, but you were also very aware of Stacey Downey, the person, which you, nobody will ever fault you for and go, oh, you should have done this, this and this, because hindsight's always been the best, the best advice in the world. And there was oh, only, exactly. there's, there's, there's only one right decision at the time. And as you say now, you have many memories from teachers as well. Like we spent twenty minutes talking about a school that it turns out we were both at, in this, and we we are almost fairly concerned we were there the same year for one year, <laughs> and we didn't actually know each other, which is wild. But I, the, the I've said this before, so many times already, and I don't want people to get sick or think I'm trying to blow smoke up somebody's arse because they're on my podcast. But the mental fortitude, and not only that, but the happiness you still portray. Not portray you give off because it's not an act it's you're not portraying and you are a ha wonderfully happy and smiley person is is so inspired i this is four years ago now 2018 and i'm still here rooting for you from you just telling me this story which is amazing and it really pains me to then go can we talk about the next commonwealth games <laughs> but the, so this one was quite different in a way of there was a global pandemic which has not been seen for the like of hundreds of years but so not to make you delve into this awful really strange therapy session this has delved into for the past half an hour <laughs> which i'm not qualified to talk to somebody else. but the so the covid years so can you tell us what happened with selection for what would be this year's commonwealth games yeah uh covid was a nightmare um yeah it's funny at the time i think i just took it for granted like you know i was at school mm -hmm. i heard things were being shut uh, tracks being shut, schools are going to be shut. I'm thinking, whoa, okay. Um, and after the 2018 cycle, I was feeling really heartbroken, being honest. That at that point, I'd, I'd been a sports psychologist years before when I was like yeah. maybe 21, 22. And I, when I first moved from Charlie, I was struggling to kind of fill the void that he'd had in my life. And at this point, I was struggling. Because, like you said, he was almost a psychologist as well as a coach oh, because yeah. of your age, yeah. I don't think you'd ever need to see a sports psychologist if you had a person like Charlie. Like he was that kind of person that you could speak to anything about. Like even if I had a problem with school, he'd be like, mm -hmm. "Oh yeah, well, I can help you with that," or he'd just give you the, the common sense answer you needed to hear that kept things straight. Or he'd tell you not to worry about something silly, you know. And as a teenage girl, having that kind of reassurance from someone, oh cool, that's pretty. You know, if he's saying that to me, you know, he's been around a bit. Like he's sixties yeah. at that point. Um, so yeah, having that kind of void, like how do you feel? that person that's been there for you for everything and I think part of me still like that void will never be filled I don't think but mm -hmm. I knew that you know his dream and my dream had been I was good enough to go to the Commonwealth Games I always felt okay well I owe this to him and I the journey that we started years ago that I'm going to give it a go and I thought after 2018 I was like could I really do this again mm -hmm. and it's always coincided that every time that I've had a Commonwealth game year I've missed out on my next year after it's been an absolute killer year. Like I've went for it. It's yeah, you, you're almost you're almost off cycle by a year. Yeah, 
it's yeah. all about timing and I think something like might not go my way or it might be like a multitude of events like an injury for instance or illness but when COVID hit oh my word like from going from teaching which in itself can be quite stressful having it you know I'm lucky that I got a contract I was full-time for a year by us like I went back to my kind of reduced contract of three days and I thought right for me to be making it and running I can you know live with my mom and dad save up some money and I can have three days training um, alongside my work and I've got loads of free time outside of that and that's going to really help mm-hmm. so 2018 lost faith in, in the kind of working relationship I had with Charlie and also with Bill at that point I was, I'm thinking look it's not quite went to plan what's going on here and decided that I needed to make a move and I thought there's nobody in my training group that's really taking it seriously as I am I need to be mm-hmm. around people that are actually taking it seriously um so I got in touch with a coach who was actually based in Aberdeen um a guy called Eddie McKenna who had funnily enough Charlie had coached him years ago <laughs> and it's all coming full circle um and I knew that he had a couple of people in his group there was one girl who was funded uh, or had been winning medals you know and she'd run in a couple of seconds quicker than what I was and there were some other athletes in the group that were pretty good I thought you know I've got nothing to lose here I may as well get in contact with them and say you know I know I live down here and you live up there but is there any advice you can give me about would you distance coach me for instance mm-hmm. if I could just get on with the work here um and I don't think it's really done in, in sprinting, to be honest. Um, I don't think it's done with many distance runners, but it's certainly easier to do with a distance runner than it is a sprinter because you're not, the technical side isn't as important with a distance runner. Um, and luckily he agreed to say, yeah, let's give it a go. Um, we'll wait because I contacted him that summer and he said, why about we get and try and meet up at the end of the summer and like the August time, September, and set a plan out. Um, and I decided at that point, that void I could really feel that kind of um I needed some support in that way and I actually got in touch with um my old coach Charlie I said look right. you me train for this new year sprint which was like three four months away and I'd had a calf issue that whole summer so this calf issue came up in 2016 it's came up in 2018 I'm going what the hell is wrong with this calf like mm-hmm. why is it still being a problem now surely it's a strength thing I need to get this sorted and I it turned out it was an Achilles issue and I got a scan done I was at the English Championships and turned out the reason why I ran so poorly, I could barely run on my calf, was because I'd probably torn it. And also there's like a tendinopathy, like a swelling with the Achilles tendon. So luckily got an ultrasound, got told, yeah, you need to stop running. You need to mm-hmm. let this go. So I had this new motivational for, I'd done some border games again. I'd kind of, my calf had been an issue that whole summer after the kind of commie games kind of cycle. I thought, right, I need to give myself a kick here and get on with it. Um, got my ankle fixed, got my calf fixed. And at that point, I was running trainers a lot. I couldn't train a lot in spikes whilst it was healing. And Charlie was really supportive of that and said, well, I've got a couple of runners doing the New Year Sprint as well. They're doing some rugby fitness. They're with me. You're welcome to come and join them. So, of course, I'm training myself at that point. And, you know, Eddie was kind of supportive of me running with other people at that point to try and help me get back into some, you know, some confidence back with my running as well. At that point, you're thinking, well, I can't, you know, my PB's for, from 2017. I PB'd in 2011 before that. You know, that's six years of not quite PB'ing or mm-hmm. being the best. So I'm going, right, okay, I'm going to really go for it. And then this will be a springboard, hopefully. Did my best in that year. Um, we had no idea COVID was going to come. So, you know, everyone's living freely. I was training up in Achieve at the point because it made sense for me to drive up there. Did really well at New Year's Sprint when Charlie had helped me. I kept that going into indoors. Um, ran my quickest time in 10 years over a 60 metres, which is pretty ridiculous. 
to be running within 100 of my PB and I'm training on my own. And I've done yeah. it the way of how I train. So instead of training and running all the time, I was going to the gym on a Monday, doing lots of calf strengthening work and kind of body exercises that would help, like step-ups and so on. Yeah. On a Tuesday, then gym again Wednesday, running again Thursday, day off Friday, so an active recovery day, then running again Saturday, and then my full day off Sunday. And the routine really helped. So that was my typical week with, with working with the new group. And the way it worked was I'd maybe once a month or every three weeks drive up to Aberdeen and train with them and then come back down the road. Um, and I still felt part of a group. I felt part of, you know, my own journey, really. But I knew that, you know, I was quite determined that I was going to train and train as hard as I could to try and show my full potential because I was like, I can't miss out again. You know, point three of a second is nothing. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't me, it was going to be somebody else. So, you know, I don't want to be in that position ever again. So I need to really work at this. So, so, you, so was this almost one of the first times you were running? Not, I would say you were running in anger almost. Yeah. I was really annoyed. Yeah, I think <laughs> I was so happy at putting everything into that season. I think what I was more annoyed about was I didn't fully feel I had the right support, like when it came to race planning and things like that. Right. I think I was more angry at things. My my ducks hadn't lined up in a row. I put yeah. everything in. I got nine out of ten things right. But to get picked, I needed that tenth thing right. Yeah, um, and you were just so, almost trying to find. You were looking for because you couldn't put a a point on what was the thing that didn't go. But you were trying to find that. So I just thought, you know, like I'd worked with Bill for quite a while. By this point, I thought I needed something to change. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, the reason why these athletes up there are doing so well is maybe Eddie's input. So I thought, you know, give it a try and. It won't do any harm to try something new, that's for sure. I think, you know, a bit like the kind of academic side, having that new thing to focus on helped. Yeah. It gave me a purpose. I felt, okay, I'm part of something. And we'd speak on the phone once a week, and he was quite busy working, which, again, my previous coaches had both been retired, so they had a lot more time to speak to you and free time and time to see you at training and so on. Whereas now I'm going from you know, my boyfriend helping support me at the running sessions two or three times a week, and I'm in the gym myself just yeah. doing sessions as I should be or teaching myself how to do things um and I met a really good friend in the gym a girl a friend called Hannah who noticed both her and I were the only two people wanting to try and use the lifting platforms and I'm there doing my calf raises and she's there doing all her exercises so um yeah I thought it's gonna be quite a lonely sport and I think meeting all these new people at the gym and being aware of you know like if I want to get back running I need my calf completely sorted and strong so I ended up speaking to um her and then obviously had a good indoor season made it to the British Championships indoors had a quite a good you know my quickest times for a long time the 200 indoors and the 60 and then came outdoors and in the April time um that's typically by this point you're kind of thinking about early season openers and I decided to hold off for a month I thought I'm just gonna be a bit slower to open up my races I think I'll wait to the start of May Okay. And at some point, I'm trying to still teach. This is the busiest term for me. So I've got sports day. I've got report writing due. I've got patients if they're there on a placement. I've got, you know, loads of different things going on. And I'm also deciding, oh, yeah, my first race is just going to be a midweek one after work. This is a great idea. <laughs> but I put so much consistent training together that my first race was my fastest ever opener. Came out and ran like 55, 6. And thought that was pretty good. And I ran a 150. Um, beforehand, which is not really a race that's done very often, you run a big PB in that as well. I thought well, this is pretty good. Um, had another couple of races, a week's time, and I ended up with my first Scotland selection. I'd had one in 2017, but this time in 2019, it's my first ever 400 meter selection. So, for committing to this other distance, finally things are going right for me. Finally, everything's going where it should be. I turn up to Loughborough, 
I have a massive seasons best in the 400 from 54.9 I get down to 54.4 my second quickest time ever I'm like this is brilliant I've got a kind of run of form here I get told yeah you're in the four before you're the last leg now you're going to be up mm-hmm. against all the quick folk and I thought oh wow okay but now not only have I got my first individual selection now the quickest in the team and now you're going for it and putting the baton and it's one of my favourite ever races and I remember my parents were there to watch along with Callum and I give him the bat and I must have been about 30, 40 metres down on the leader. Mm-hmm. And I'm 20 metres down on the girl in front of me. And I just got the bat and I must have forgot what race I was doing because I went tanking off, caught the girl <laughs> in front of me by the 200 metre mark and right up behind her, get to 250 and I start to feel a bit blurry because I think I'd went out that hard, the lactic must have hit a bit harder than I thought. Got down to about the last home straight and we're both catching the girl in front and the crowd on the on the balcony is going absolutely wild and I'm kind of going for it. And at this point, I can't really see where I'm going because I'm that tired that I veer from like lane two out into lane four, bizarrely. And there's this really funny series of pictures of me falling over the line, trying to <laughs> over the line to try and catch this girl in second. I missed her right. by that. I don't know how, but I ended up with like the quick, one of the quickest splits of the whole really. I was like, 54-1 I got given her. I think some people thought I was just under 54 seconds. A PB was 53-9, so I ran a PB split. In a really Having ran a 400 early in the day. So that whole summer I was like, wow, like, if that's how you do a 400 metres, like, I've somehow sussed this out. I'm doing, this is the event for me now. Yeah, um, you just have to accept the mild, blurry vision at the, the final 100. Yeah, and like, I think as well, like, training on my own. I'm thinking, what the heck? I'm doing this running on my own. Yeah. I don't want anyone to pace me. I'm running against me and my shadow and I've got Callum barking at me going, like, you've got only got two minutes left, recovery. And anyone who's done, like, um, any team sport knows that it's always easier having folk around you. Yeah, it's there's easier. motivation there. Yeah, Yeah, and having somebody to beat in training. So having, like, faster athletes is a no-brainer. And I was just really lucky there was a couple of groups up there that occasionally, if, if my boyfriend was busy and couldn't get across from work, that one of the coaches there would support me and time my rep to see how fast I was. So I ended up making a few kind of connections there. And throughout the summer, I just kept kind of improving. Had a good couple of races across in Belgium, two days back to back. Went into the British Championships and Scottish Championships and all the kind of big season championships at the end of the year. Um, and I actually got picked to run for Scotland again in Manchester in 2019. Um, and this is when I had to ask for a day off of school. I had to message and be like, really sorry it's the first week back but I've been selected to run for Scotland any chance that I can miss the service day and I can make this day up in our time or whatever mm-hmm. he's like oh no don't worry about it like that's fine you go um nobody gets PE like the first week anyway back because it's a short week so you just do your planning no bother no problem so I ended up going down there um and I've been picked for a really bizarre set of events so I was picked for the 400 right. then the 200 then the four by one so I was going longest to shortest of the order of events. And I was like, is that right? Was I meant to be picked for a 4 by one Do you not mean a 4 by 4 You almost phoned somebody to be like, is, have I got the wrong sheet? I was and, like, would you, and would you conventionally do it the other way around? So you'd start shorter distances and go to the longer instead of long to short? It's just like, yeah, it's like, it's always typical. Like sprinters always start like shorter distances and like go longer. So mm-hmm. like the day, like timetable is always that like, short sprints are on first. But bizarrely, like, the way the timetable was, I was one of the first events. I was on at 7 o'clock at night, and I was the first event. Um, so I'm in a team meeting, and just going up to the team meeting, and Alan Scott, the kind of team manager, was like, would you like to be team captain today? And I'm like, huh? What? <laughs> Me? Like, really? 
I'm looking around the room and you've got people like Steph Reed in the team who's a Paralympic like medalist. Right. She was competing on our team. I'm looking at her, I was like, should she not be the captain? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> looking in the room and she's got like, she's achieved more in sport than I have. And he's like, no, no, Stace, I'd like, I'd like you to do it. Um, so it was a pole voter, Jack Storrs, who'd been at uh, the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. Right. And it was me uh, as the female captain. And I was just like honoured to be asked. I was just like, okay, this ups the ante slightly. Um, I've got the 400, I've got the 200, I've got, you know, I've got three events to get through. It's quite a lot in one evening. I uh, ran my 400, had a quite a decent time, like 55 flat, but I was only third or fourth. I wasn't quite where I wanted to be. And it was like every race I kind of did better, um, but it was horrendous conditions, torrential rain, having to hide under the side of Manchester Arena whilst the 200s were postponed because you couldn't see the track. It was, we had to wait for... 15, 20 minutes and try not to get too cold. So I ended up just missing a medal on that. I was fourth, but like, but the smallest of margins. And it came to the 4 by one and then I was in the warm-up period. I was, like, I was getting a bit of cramp. I thought, right, I need to watch this. I've still got 4 by one to do. So I was on the last leg and I thought, this is the glory leg. Why did they put me here? Like, I'm better on a bend. Because <laughs> um, at some time in my career, I think I've done every single leg for Scotland, first, second, third, fourth, depends who else is on the team. Okay. So in the fourth leg and luckily the cramp went away. I mean, I held, um, held on and we got a silver. I just thought this has paid dividends. Like I feel like I need, you know, a medal to kind of finish the season with. So I went from that week. It was a really busy week. Got picked for Manchester on the Wednesday. Scottish champs are on the Saturday, Sunday. Following that, turns up the Saturday to find out that there wasn't quite enough people for a four hundred meter heat. So warm up, then go home again, and then come out the next day. I thought I might do the double today. I kind of fancy my chances. I've had one less run than I thought I was going to do. I'm going to turn up for the two hundred as well. So I won my 200 meter heat quite comfortably in 24.6 or something. I thought that was good. That was a good warm up for the four. I went out and won the 400. So it was my first ever 400 meter title, indoor, outdoor. You know, it was just amazing that, that my whole year had been built up to win this. And came out in the 200 meter final a couple of year, uh, hours later. My legs were gone, but I'm trying to hide it from my competitors that my legs were done. Um, came out of the blocks and I thought I can't I don't think I've got it today but I had I just kept put the foot down and just thought I'll do my best and I came third and I ran a season's best that day 24-4 so I was I was pretty chuffed at not having that's, that's not bad for some of the things they've got nothing in their legs <laughs> yeah so obviously all that training on my own and like you know obviously getting back the rehab I was so meticulous with everything I did that year even mm-hmm. like every race I'd have a massage after it and so on like I pretty much lived my life how I thought an athlete a professional athlete should be living yeah. it and you, yeah, you, you were a, you were a pro athlete on the on the non funded budget. Yeah, so throughout my whole career, apart from like the Tweeddale Sports Council who funded me really you know generously for like travel out with the region, I've not had any funding since I was like twenty one. I had that private sponsor, but then I've had nothing. So I've been self funding my whole career. So I think a large wow. part of my decisions have been right. Okay, how can I get enough money to support my training or? Um, you know, I've got to, you know, be an adult and I can't rely on my parents for absolutely everything. I've got to go and do my thing as well. Um, and it's just, yes, yeah, it's, it's not easy. I think I really would like, encourage youngsters to kind of think about if they really want to get down and be like a professional in sport, you've got to kind of plan your path and you need to really think, because money, on, it's a shame to think money is a limiting factor in a lot of people's careers or mm-hmm. injury, for instance, or not getting the right support from the right people around them environment so key um so i think with covid like that hit another kettle of fish so that year had been amazing i couldn't have done much more i went down to british championships the week after the scottish championships and i thought i was done mentally and physically <laughs> went down there and 
ran one of my quickest ever times of the year and ran my quickest ever time the 200 at the British Champs and had a you know great competition. And it was the last one at the Alexander Stadium before they stopped, you know, tore it down for the Commonwealth Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I finished off my season at a really championships for Edinburgh AC where we won the 4 by one and I went to Pitlockery Highland Games and I won the 90 and the 200 metres and we picked up Charlie and took him up for the day out. So it was like it was... It was like it was coming full circle. It's like I'd achieved my dreams that year. Yeah. But I'd had my very first coach Charlie involved. I've had Eddie involved. I've had this new setup which I've put together, which for the most part worked pretty well. And then went into that winter and then March time hit, you know, I'm about to start competing in April, May time. And to be told you can't go on the track. We're outdoors. Yeah. Like, why can you not compete? Like I just found it bizarre, but there was three months where I don't think anybody could access anything. Then there was only elite sports people, and it wasn't until did July you did you constitute as the elite sport? Nope. No, which is baffling as a GB athlete that you don't constitute as elite sport. No, so you have to be on funding to count. Um, so regardless of like me winning medals in the past or being a Scottish champion or an internationalist, to be considered funded, you need to be on institute funding, which was like maybe you were couple percent within the com- or beside the Commonwealth Games standard so if I'd been like say 0.1 of a second quicker I might have been considered when I was younger that sort of thing um so how but- did so how did your life change there like in terms of the sheer just a day because you've gone from six day a week workouts or six day a week workouts six six times a week workout to you were in the same boat as all of us where at some point it was you're not allowed outside to you've got an hour a day make the most of it Oh, yeah. um, I get, I found it really difficult. I, I needed a routine. So I think yeah. I did. I thought the best thing I can do is keep my training days the same. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whatever day I was doing this on, just adapt. So local parks became my friends. So when your hour exercising was that, I'd be like, right, I'm going off to a local park. I'm going to go and run there and just find the gap. Because, you know, as soon as the good weather started, everybody's in the park. Everybody was there. Yeah. Because you know? nowhere else was open. Um. And then by the time you could finally get back onto a track, I was like, brilliant, okay. Um, you know, this is somewhere I need to get back. And again, I'm probably not the only athlete in this boat, but I know in Scotland, especially down in England and Wales, they allowed you access a lot sooner than they did up here. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing on social media people getting access a lot earlier than what I'd done. I'm thinking, okay, well, what's happening up here? You know, surely we deserve the same think you know covid surely is something that we're all living with is not all of a way for us to live with this and to you know see how you know because athletics is mostly an outdoor sport it's the summer right so what's the problem so it was you know trying to find different training venues for me i was training on hills on a hilly road i was training local parks i was found this track at dalkeith eventually uh july mm-hmm. august time of that year when i realized it was open it was an actual place you could go train um it wasn't easy um and i guess having nothing to train for was the hard bit i suppose yeah as well because everything stopped competition wise as well so you you'd gone from so in my so in my understanding you've gone from almost so at this point in 2019 you are you're just turning 30 aren't you or, yes i was 30 yes you just you've just, just you've just passed your you've just joined and entered your 30 so you've gone from the age of 13 where you've had this competition's the goal this competition's the goal this is the next target and because that that's that's 20 years that's two decades of mm-hmm. you know what you're working towards 
so you've now been told you've not got access to anything you're doing you don't know what you're doing what you're doing for and there's no here's the here's the big picture no did it feel in a weird way when you then got to the play park and you kind of looked around and you went it's not too dissimilar to leaving rovers football fetch was there a little bit of the not the full circle moment but you're like i kind of like the familiarity of this yeah, I think because um, I'd trained in grass a lot before, I was like, oh, yeah. this is fine. Yeah, I still have my long pins somewhere. I'll just change my spikes and put long pins in. And actually, like, you're the only bit that, you know, a couple of body parts took a while to adjust, like hamstrings and stuff. But again, it felt very much like back in the days of, right, let's try and find the best bit of grass to run on that's got the less, least holes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it didn't feel much different. And I think, you know, I've always been quite self motivated, I think, because I had that year of training on my own and then you know that next winter like we explored other people to run with and I think that was the next stage you know had mm-hmm. COVID not hit I would have probably had some athletes around me to help push me on a bit more so I would have had the same setup but pushed on a bit more with other athletes unfortunately I didn't quite get a chance to have a go so I feel like yeah I've done the best I could 2018-19 get back in a great shape had a really good winter 2019 didn't quite get to show it in 2020 and then when things mm-hmm. started to open up again everybody's kind of at that point where nobody knows how fit anybody is and it's like some folk wanted to compete some folk didn't um and the end of 2020 um i was out i kind of got to the point of well i need to get some more cardio behind me if i want to run yeah. better enough and the thing missing for me you know being asthmatic i need to try and push it a bit harder or even just some short runs that are like five minutes long or something so near my parents house there's a really nice hill um you can run up and it flattens out and i thought right i'm just gonna keep trying every couple of days to try and beat how far I get on this in a certain time or I'm going to try and keep running this route it was the same route I'd done as a kid I thought I'm just going to go back to this it seemed to work at the time <laughs> and I'd run there and to see how far it took and my target was like I'm going to get to that corner in two minutes 15 because that's about I think that's about half a mile away I thought right. 250 on the roads for an 800 is not bad it was just a rough estimate and I remember doing that and I remember with um, September came in 2020 and I was like came home from work and I'm out running and I'm ju- I had to jump into the grass verge really quickly because a car was coming I hadn't seen me I was wearing bright colours and I stood up I could barely stand up and I looked down at my foot and I thought oh and I ruptured a ligaments in my foot I didn't know this at the time but I could barely walk and I'm trying to hobble home and this was late 2020 yeah and nobody knows this I've not told anyone I had that injury apart oh, no. from and my um and my boyfriend yeah so having that injury I couldn't walk properly i was on crutches for three months i couldn't barely jog so there's me trying to like head and hands going what the hell was i doing going out running when it was getting slightly dark i should have just waited till the morning and yeah getting that injury like i could only start properly jogging on christmas eve of 2020 and then i was back running in march in spite in 2021 so so you you missed the whole of the warm-up into the season again so six months worth of just trying to walk properly. <laughs> um, so I think this is why it makes, you know, having COVID, I kind of look back and think, what was I doing? I was trying to keep fit, but I was also trying to push on and I was in really good shape. It's just mm-hmm. such a shame that happened. Um, COVID, I think, has been a blessing in disguise. It's, it's allowed me to have more of a life balance, which was nice at the time. But yeah, I suppose that could have happened to anybody going over on your ankle. 
started to see it. I looked back and thinking, because it's just like since then, like for me to get back in shape since that injury, I've worked mm-hmm. so hard to get fit for this year. Um, and for the first time ever, I've won the 400 indoors and I kept mm-hmm. setting myself a new target. And this medal here, like, it's my last Scottish title. I thought, this means even more than any of the other ones because nobody knows what I've had to overcome just to get back on the start line, let alone be competitive. And then it turns out, you know, I made a bit of history with winning that one. I thought mm-hmm. COVID's not going to take away, like, my running. Like, I need to get, I've lost a couple of years' worth of racing here. And I didn't realise at the time until I looked at some of my results. I thought, well, wait, now I've actually now won every sprint you could win indoors. So, yeah, thinking back to, like, what the events were, like, you could win in yeah. Scotland. So, indoors, you could win the 60, the 200, or the 400. So, right. since 2011, I'd won the 60 and the 200 away back in 2009 or something. Mm-hmm. But then I've now added the 400 in 2022. So, I've had, like... So, you, so you've got all three of the indoors. So I've won them all indoors at various points, plus the relay indoors a couple of times. And then outdoors, that 400 outdoors in 2019... Plus, I've now matched that with the 2022 indoor one. Mm-hmm. I've now won the 100, the 200, the 400 outdoors, which apparently nobody had done. So, so you've, you've, you've won every single Scottish medal that yeah. you can win. Yeah. And I didn't know this at the time. I was just literally wanting to run in that 400, try and push for a confident, you know, for a time for the commies, thinking it gets quick as possibly can. Mm-hmm. And then I ran two indoor personal bests and I then won that gold. And I thought, wow. Like to run that in you know February, the COVID also postponed a lot of competitions. So my chance to run a 400 had to be put back about three weeks because they classed 400 meters as an event that involved um, like contact. Because you, I have suppose, yeah, because yeah, you, you you merge lanes, don't you? Yeah, exactly. So um, they thought there was a risk that people might catch COVID off each other. And, well, fair enough. So all the 400 metres, the 800 metres and distance events were held separately on a Friday night through in Glasgow. And I went through to the Emirates that week, tried the track out and, you know, worked on a few race plans and then went out and ran. And the 400 indoors is notoriously pretty difficult to judge. You can either go out too hard, but again, it's two laps. And this suited me quite well because I thought, great, it's just two 200s. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. I've done this a lot in training. Um, and a few weeks before I prepared for it with a 60 metres and ran you know, a really quick time for me and like 0.1 off my PB and I thought that's my quickest ever opener as well so I'm in pretty good shape despite you know thinking that tension of career might have been over with that injury I'd had because that was other athletes had the same never got back to the shape they had before um, so yeah I think this year was always going to be a case of just get as fit as I possibly could in pretty good shape at the start of the season couple of niggles with my calf which came and kind of went again I thought right okay time to put some races down and I start the 2022 season unfortunately the COVID that I managed to avoid the whole of the actual COVID lockdown period for two years I pick up at the start of June this year I'm like are you actually joking oh, no went down to London competed for the National Athletic League um for the club and I think about six or eight of us picked it up on the plane way back absolutely devastated but I knew that, you know, I still had time. You know, this is the start of June, the qualification period then. I still got a bit of time. Very lucky that my COVID came and went as quick as it arrived. But the before I actually realised I was positive, so it took me about a week to develop symptoms. I went and raced in that other period, went down to Birmingham, uh, a place near Nuneaton. Mm-hmm. And I was halfway round. I thought, this 400 is going pretty well. Great, I've hit the right pace. And halfway round, I was like, I can't breathe. What's going yeah. on? Finished my race 
felt really out of breath. I thought my time's quicker, but still, this I didn't feel right. There's something not right here. Turned out the next day I tested positive for COVID, and I thought, okay, I must have got that in one of these competitions I've been at. It's likely to have been on the plane. Um, so I had to obviously self-isolate and couldn't train. had to rest up for that weekend. And I had planned a race in Switzerland the next again week to get my last race in before the, the qualification period hit. And I was very much going, right, come on, COVID test. You need to test negative. Come on. And every day taking them. And it was Monday morning, testing negative. thought, great, I'll book my flight and go. So I've entered mm-hmm. this competition, but it was very much, you know, I could might not have been able to go. And to think that an illness or something like that can stop you competing. Like, you know, I ran the Scottish Championships. Like, not a lot of people knew this, but I was pretty feeling rough that day from really bad cold that I picked up. And mm-hmm. I just passed my inhaler and ran. And I just thought, I need to just go for it. But COVID's a different kettle of fish. It's not a cold. It was... Yeah, it's, it, it, was, it is what it is. So, yeah. A bit disappointed not to quite perform the way I should have done this year before the cutoff. I think that's what... This year's been a lot of challenges. I think a lot of people have had the same COVID thing. I think maybe slight, getting slightly older, that different ways of training suited me, actually. Less mm-hmm. running, more strength-based. But it's just a shame it's not all quite came together at the right time. I think I'd entered the World Masters Championships way back in April thinking, yeah, that can maybe be part of my year. It might be good, a good way to prep for the Commonwealth Games, you know, a big competition right before mm-hmm. it, good atmosphere, you know. Um, and I remember, you know, thinking, right, okay, Commonwealth Games might not happen for me. Why don't we just go out there and, and just see what I can do? Um, I think it came at the right time. It really did. I was in a airport in Poland when I discovered the team for the Commonwealth Games. And it's really hard to be on a plane on your own. You're flying to Finland. Mm-hmm. No one to kind of share that disappointment with. I just remember looking at it going... <sighs> once just, again, just once yeah. again, yeah. I just thought this dream. What's what's happening? Is this is this meant to be? <laughs> I thought really is you know. I just thought I must be, you know, from what all I've achieved in the sport. The one thing you'd think, and a lot of athletes have always asked me this is, oh, you've been to that Commonwealth Games, haven't you? I was like, no, no. You've been to that one, no. <laughs> and I think that's what the dream that's always kept me going. This thing that Charlie and I kind of grew, because I was like, right. World Masters Championships didn't really tell many people I'd went out here actually. I don't think even told Charlie I was coming. Mm-hmm. Decided to go out there and you know, my boyfriend wasn't able to come, he was working. So I got out there myself and I thought, right, let's go out and perform. I know nobody I'm competing against. This is a great opportunity to just go and run. And I ran the 200 metres um, on the Sunday, the 3rd. So we're, we're, in, we're in Finland now, aren't we? We're now talking about Finland. Yeah. So, so, this, so this is this is your in what I dream is my my new inspirational story of never giving up because this is uh people talk about oh never give up because you'll be at the end. Of it. This is twenty years and four plus year cycles of people just getting at you, getting at you, getting out, and now you are representing GB in the Masters League. So you're there. You're in Tempera, Finland. Did I pronounce that right? Or have I butchered that? Yeah, it's Tempera. Yeah. Tampera, right? I'll, I'll get there eventually. <laughs> I'm British. We're dreadful at languages. Tampera, so you're in Tampera, Finland. Tampera, Finland. You are out there. You're at the end of your redemption arc. Feel good story. This is a proper great moment. The fo- If you get the chance after this, look at Stacey's socials. The the photos of her are when if you've listened to this, is you'll be tearing up. It's so it's so inspiring to see. 
So walk us through now. You've just so on the way to the Masters League, you've just found out the Commonwealth Games team. Yeah. So you so you're on the plane. You've just sighed when you've read the team. Yeah, I'm trying not to cry around strangers. You know, that way when you're like so emotional, yeah. and it's nice to celebrate good emotions. You know, like I say, if yeah. you're scores or football goal, but experience emotions like that. I just sat in my book and I just started journaling. I was like, I'm on my way to the World Athletics Championships. This is going to be competing in this and this. I just thought I needed to change my focus straight away. Yeah. And I needed to turn that disappointment into fuel. And I thought, do you know what? I need to prove the selectors wrong and prove people wrong that, you know, I have got it in me to have a good season. And I thought, why not take the opportunity? Um, and when it comes to championships, like I'm pretty hard to beat. I've always went into championships thinking that I'm going to win it. I'm never going to not because that performance beforehand means nothing you know at times on a sheet doesn't mean they've mm. run that time on that day so um i went in there i knew that i was ranked quite highly on the times that we'd entered with but again the conditions on the day you know, like turned up won my heat really good performance and i smashed my season's best by half a second i thought okay i'm in good shape here but it turns out i had a really strong headwind i thought even better okay so let's get rid of this win for the final and i'm going to really go some Mm-hmm. The second heat, the girl ran quicker than what I'd ran, but then I looked at the result and showed she didn't have any wind at all. I thought, okay, this is all to play for then. Yes, this is a very and even playing field. Definitely. And um, I always came back to, I had lucky lane six, I called it. So lane six I had for the heat, lane six I had for the final. And I won British, my British title from lane six. Mm-hmm. I was like, this six is going to be good for me. It's not the devil sign. <laughs> it's good for me. Yeah. Um, and I just went for it. And my race is on my Instagram and um, they were lucky some of the other competitors and the British team filmed it for me. And I crossed the line, I thought, I've got this. But I remember Kelly Holmes crossing the line and she's like, ah, and she's <laughs> like, did I get it? Did I not? And she's like, that unsureness of her. And I was thinking, I better not like, you know, I better not celebrate too soon. I don't know if I've got it or not. And I remember looking across at the scoreboard and I saw it was my name and the announcer shouting. I was like, yes, like, this is me. <laughs> Um, like really like and all the emotion of everything I'd been through just hearing the team trying to qualify trying to chase time when you know for whatever reason I couldn't quite do it when I needed to on that day I did it I was like yes this is it like this is why I do the sport to be winning medals to be putting performances out and what really got me is I'm walking around I got my photo taken with the flag which Mm -hmm. is really nice and walking back around to get my stuff or you've been selected for drugs testing off you go and I'm yeah. like, oh, the good old anti-doping come down so um I'm like okay right let's go um off I go luckily took somebody else from the team that knew you know a bit about the process there he'd been involved in anti-doping around the world he works with him and I was like oh you'll be a good person to come and so I celebrated with him sitting in anti-doping waiting until you know I was able to give a sample and then off I go get my medal he took the video of me and I don't think there's any more special moment than getting the national anthem played as you're getting a medal. No, and I'm standing there going, I can't even remember the words. Like, it <laughs> was just mush, you know? Um, it was just so special. And to feel like I'd won one gold, I thought, do you know what, Stacey, that's enough. Like, you could go home. You've won yeah. one. You're world champion. And to kind of take that lightly, like, I guess I never realised the implications of what I'd just done. I, I just knew that I'd won an hour race. But arguably that could be one of my best ever wins and to have done it in the circumstances of well maybe not quite in the shape i'd like to have been in this season obviously with covid over it was my first competition since covid and things haven't quite went to plan and to come back after that horrendous injury like to be winning 
and running my quickest time in three years since my really good year a couple of years ago before COVID. I was like, this is brilliant, you know? So I kind of came away from it. The next, again, Monday, next day, I couldn't sleep at all overnight. Mm-hmm. I went out to celebrate you know, my post kind of uh, race celebration was an anti-doping. So I never really got to go and celebrate <laughs> it as anyone else would. Um, I went and got a shower, I went out and I had my medal in my bag. I thought, this is my special bit of hardware. I'm going to keep it close to me. And I'm walking around past the Burger King and this guy's like, hey, well done, congratulations. And I'm thinking, I'm in normal clothes here. How do you know who I am? Like, I've got no <laughs> on i don't know who you are um turns out he was getting his medal at the podium when i was and so my my celebration was in burger king because nothing (laughs) else was open by the time i got out and into um, to go and get some food in tambora so um yeah i met met a couple of athletes who'd also got medals and started learning how to speak spanish with them and it was a cool night um i just wanted to forget unforgettable moments because all you want to do is hug someone after you've won something like that or celebrate with them yeah. But I had no one with me to do that with. So I was having to hug random teammates I'd never met before. And, you know, <laughs> it was just a really good camaraderie within the British team. And I went out into the next event. I had a couple of days downtime in between. And I'd written on a bit of paper, 200-meter world champion, 400-meter world champion. I thought, I'm not going home with just one. Yeah. It's like, I've always done two events. I've always doubled up. I've never just won one title. I want to try and double up wherever I can. I don't know if it's just doing the sprints when you're younger you've got this automatic image that you can do two sprints no problem so I went out into that 400 and I remember for a couple of days after the 200 a bit of a come down and I felt absolutely knackered I thought I don't feel great what's up with me I just feel like really flat and I thought it's just because of the heat Mm -hmm. came to the Wednesday morning I was like I really don't feel good like I feel sick this is weird I thought what's going on here so I thought right just run the 400 heat and you know if I still feel rubbish I can maybe go and see a doctor here or or whatever, maybe I've just eaten something. I go and run to 400 heat, qualifies pretty comfortably. Um, I won my heat in like a 58 seconds, like quite low 58. It's quite an easy run for me. And the nice thing was I got around it without any problems. I was like, great, my breathing's fine. Happy days. COVID's not going to be a problem here. I hopefully don't, don't think it will be anyway. The other heat was won by a, a favourite. And she mm-hmm. ran 56 seconds. And I thought, okay, right, I need to go some. to be beating her. So next day wakes up again Thursday feeling even worse. I was thinking, what am I still doing and feeling for? I feel so ill. I should really be in my bed just chilling out and doing nothing. I think it was the come down after winning the 200. I was still, like the emotions of everything had just come out. I just didn't feel great. And I got some antibiotics from the team doctor and he said, like, you should be okay to take these. Um, and if you feel well enough, come out and compete. I think I'd picked up a urine infection or something like that. And I went out in the 400 meter final I'm up to about an hour before. I'm not even sure if I'm going to go on that start line because I think wow. with a 200, I really didn't think I was like, it's like, come on, Stacey, right? You can run quicker than 58 too. I really had to coach myself and every bit of mindfulness and experience and strength that I've used over the years, I had to draw on everything. I was like, right, get on that start line. The lane draw couldn't have been better. I had the, the fastest girl who could sign me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, right, I've already won the 200 and I beat you in the 200. You were third. I just need to get you to 200 meters and I've got this one. So I just need to get up on her and keep going. And I think I probably ran one of my smartest races I've ever ran because it wasn't about a time. It was about winning it. And I just yeah. knew I needed to get up on you by the first 200 meters. I paced myself really well. Got up on her in the second bend. I thought, right, come on, Stacey. Like my strength is the first 300. The last 100 I've always usually kept my form. But you never know with having COVID, have I got it in this last straight, have I not? Mm-hmm. Gets down to the last home straight, 
the home crowd is going wild. She's catching back up on me. I only had about a metre in the lead. And it was neck and neck going down the home straight into the last 30 metres. And I never knew this, but she was like a stride behind me. I could see her. And the last 30 metres, I just kept strong and ran through the line and ran a massive season's best for like a second. And she uh, was second. And I was like, I couldn't even celebrate though. I just crossed the line. I was like, yes. And then straight away, I'm feeling rubbish. Yeah. Uh, in a, you know, in a state of disbelief, but also relief, I think. Wow. Like, I'm not only just one one here. I've came out and run probably the hardest event on the track, arguably one of the most toughest events you could ever do. And I've ended up with an hour gold. And I just, I honestly, it didn't sink in. I went and got my medal. And I was just like, I don't think it still hasn't sink in yet. I think mm. having the medals here with my name on it and engraved and the time I ran and the event, what made it even more special was like, I was out there on my own doing it. I, it was like, going full circle from when I was like young Stacy, like starting out when I was 12. I'm doing something wow. that I want to do and made the most of it. And yeah, it was just an experience of a lifetime. It really helped me heal. And it's really tough knowing that the Commonwealth Games are starting this week coming and I'm not there, but I'm like, would I've had that experience had mm -hmm. I got picked? I don't know. But I can honestly say like, I've had those results and to be sitting here with two goals, not just one, but two, I know what went into them and kind of what, you know, what the story was behind them. Like it's never just plain spelling in sport, but I think in athletics, it can be really tough to get back to your level if you've been injured or ill, but to manage to get through every single thing. I guess the one thing I didn't touch on with COVID was everything changed for me. I changed running mm -hmm. coach again, uh, still distance coached by someone else. And then I've got uh, still got no one to run with but every track shut you're not allowed to use the track because you're not a member of that club all these silly mm -hmm. rules started up so everything in my life changed my physio um the business went bust unfortunately so i now had to get a new physio I had to get a new massage therapist my podiatrist emigrated to australia I had to get a new podiatrist i had to get every single support network that i built up around me had changed wow. every single one and i was like i don't think this often happens you often lose maybe a couple people in your team but the whole team so that's been in itself, the fact that I've done all of this on my own, it makes it even more special to make such a good outcome out of a, yeah, not so great situation. This year, this last year in my athletics career has been the toughest I've ever had. And yeah, I'm just so proud that I've managed to come away with like some good results and hopefully I can keep it going for the, the rest of the season to come. Well, Stacey, I'm, I'm proud of you. Like and that's not even like a condescent like i'm genuinely so proud and you said it doesn't make sense but just in case you needed some confirmation stacy downey you're world 200 meter and 400 meter champion and you've earned every single step and i can't i can't think of a fitter way to end the main body of that podcast but that was what and i don't know if you clocked what you said when you described the final race but all you spoke about was beating the person next to you. You didn't mention times at all. And if you remember what Charlie was saying to you when you were younger, he never once made you run against times. You were always running against people. No. The only person you can beat is yourself. So like, mm -hmm. if you beat your best effort and then run your best race, that's all you can control. I mm -hmm. think that's a really powerful thing. Like for COVID and for a lot of us, like having all those strange things happen that are not things you can control. 
I think that kind of brings home that when you are in a race, like the only thing you can control is how you run it. And yeah, I'm just glad that all my experience paid off because it could have, you know, I could have ended up third. You know, I remember being in Atty Dopen and my friend was like, so if you came second, would you be happy? Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I'd be happy with an R medal, of course I would. But I've come here to win them both, you know? So I guess you do put a lot of pressure on yourself and, you know, going forward, I know that the next Commonwealth Games, you know, might be a big ask, who knows? I might still be fit when I'm 39. <laughs> it's hard to say what the future holds, but I know that the next Masters Championships, the Worlds, is in Gothenburg, back with that track where my kind of international career started. Mm-hmm. And two years time, so I could go in there and defend my titles. That would be quite a nice, wow. uh, fitting way to kind of carry on my sport. Um, yeah, be quite a quite a special thing to do. I don't know if anyone's done that. Managed to kind of keep their titles, and also the other thing I'd kind of like to do for this season and in general is to was any Masters champion, World champion, also been their national champion at the same time. Okay. So you've got the Masters, so now we're, well, I think you've summed that up perfectly and now we all know where we're going to next get to see you. So all we have to do, because I don't know if you've seen the little clock, but I've had the most fun and we've been talking for three hours. Wow. And it has it has flown, it generally has been, some. I said this to you before we hit record, I love when I've got people here that I don't, necessarily know as much about either their sport or them as a person because it just it fills me with inspiration so to end this on a lovely cheery note to show that everybody who works hard and strives gets what they deserve which is what you got with the medals now that everybody's back home and covid's not a thing and i know you're not much of a drinker but you still deserve a crack in celebration and a party so you have three songs <laughs> What three songs are you going to pick to just, even if it's just you, your mum, your dad, Charlie, every coach that's ever put in, and your boyfriend, what three songs are you playing in the living room jukebox and why? Um, There's got to be a Queen one in there somewhere. After the karaoke, obviously, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've got quite a few. I don't really have like a running playlist as such, but any songs that kind of inspire me before I run, sometimes when I need a boost, I put them on. Nice. So um, I've got Under Pressure with Queen and David Bowie, and I've got um i want it all okay so really, like I, queen songs for me are quite like they were my favorite band so they'd definitely be there okay um, so one by queen to start number one non-specific need something cheesy in there and i think i'd probably go for abba they're always a crowd pleaser love um, that bit of abba and then one of my favorite songs actually is um by u2 the okay. song one but it's not really a celebratory song so that'd be my favourite song to play. But if it's, it's your song, it's your playlist, it's your three. The only one that's a bit more mellow, uh, the, the version with Mary G. Blige probably. Um, but yeah, I've got a routine of like always playing um, is it Dario G. Sunshine. I've yes. Got kind of samba beat that I always mm-hmm. play before I go and warm up. It's just my kind of song to kind of get me a bit more upbeat and kind of ready for it. So yeah, that'd be my three. Amazing. Stacey, I've had so much fun. Thank you so much for your evening. You've given me you've given me motivation i'm gonna be up early to go for a run because i'm working from home tomorrow so i've got no excuse because i've got no commute where can everybody follow you on social media to keep up to date and see all these incredible photos and emotions just overflowing yeah sure you can get me on i'm on twitter and instagram and facebook you can get me on uh, twitter at stacy downey with the s and the d's and capitals 
or on Instagram, I'm Stacey041987. Amazing. And all these will be down in the description. I can't say enough, but Stacey, thank you so much. I've had so much fun. And now to the listeners at home, season two, episode nine is officially done and in the bag. As usual, listeners make this podcast what it is. The guests are exceptional, but it's you guys that get the benefit of hearing their amazing stories. I'm the lucky one that gets to help them share it, but we are nothing without the guests and the listeners on this show. So thank you all. As usual, leave a like, leave a comment, five-star ratings, make us go through the roof. Let, uh, let other people know the amazing stories you get to hear. Stacey's words deserve to be heard by the world. As usual, all constructive criticism is always welcome. We're always wanting to make the podcast better. If you're going to be mean, I've got quite thick skin, so it doesn't really affect me. So I'm just going to steal your retweets for being funny. So have fun with that one. Leave a like. Thank you very much. And we'll see you again next week for the final episode of season two. Cheerio. Goodbye. Bye.